Welcome to BOA Audio, Red Pill Junkie. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, Mr. Vinal, all I can say right now is about damn time. <laughs> what does a Mexican blogger have to do to be invited on Vinal of America? <laughs> No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to another edition of BOA Audio. Finally, we are back live because over the last uh, six weeks or so, we've had no borders as well. Traveling to uh, Ireland to talk to Peter Costello, going all the way down to Australia to talk to David Phoebe, Heading to uh, Japan to talk to Brent Swanser, and then last week on the show talking to Carl DeMarco in China. And tonight here for the fifth episode in a row and concluding our international expedition, we go all the way down to Mexico City, Mexico, for a very special edition of the program. Our guest tonight is uh, long overdue on this program, quite frankly, folks. I'm a huge fan of his work. Uh, and, and have seen him online for years, and we've crossed paths quite a few times. <laughs> Since we've been putting this episode together, it seems like we've emailed each other th- close to a thousand times. So he's very prolific online. He's quite the, uh, quite the online presence, and he is, as I describe uh, in the blurb here for the program, an astute onlooker of the esoteric and one of the more perceptive pundits in the paranormal field. He is, of course, the man they call Red Pill Junkie. He has written for a real plethora of uh, prominent websites, some real uh, big websites, Daily Grail, Mysterious Universe, particularly those two websites. And uh, he's been a presence online for quite some time and, and it has sort of a origin story similar to uh, myself as he sort of started out as a fan and then became a content provider, content maker, uh, pontificator. So I'm looking forward to talking to him about all this good stuff. And like I said, he's uh, long overdue to appear on the program. So welcome to BOA Audio, Red Pill Junkie. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, Mr. Vinal, all I can say right now is about damn time. (laughs) What does a Mexican blogger have to do to be invited on Vinal of America? (laughs) The truth of the story is that we should tell folks. I, I I reached out to you last April, not this past April, last April, to try and get uh, a hold of Brent Swanser, and I'm like, I'm going to get you on the show, too, Red Pill Junkie. Don't worry <laughs> about that. But how can I get a hold of this Brent Swanser character? And and we can we can lay this at the feet of Brent, I think. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> and, and my own obsessive-compulsive disorder, where it was like, I can't... Once I sort of 
set the table that way. I was like, well, if I have Red Pill Junkie on before I have Brent Swanser on, I'm going to jinx this whole thing. It's it's <laughs> not going to work out. Somehow I'm not going to be able to get a hold of Brent Swanser. So once we got Brent on the show, I <laughs> I dug up the original email to thank you, and I'm like, well, now we can all it can all come together finally, you know. So I can <laughs> I, I can put the last piece of the puzzle in. So yeah, you remember that. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna come here eventually, but first. Who's this Brent Swanser? How can I get a hold of him? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey man, you're the man with all the answers. That's uh, that's that's why you're Red Pill Junkie. That's you know, I knew I knew who to turn to. Seriously, man. Now uh, this is a real honor for me. You know, I've been a, a fan of Denial of America almost as long as I've been involved in the Fortean paranormal blogosphere. You know, mm-hmm. Denial of America is without a question one of the most important Fortean an esoteric podcast oh, on thanks, the web man. right now. Thank you. And yours is one of the few podcasts that I've uh, actually listened more than once. You know, uh, some of uh, my favorite po- uh, podcast episodes ever uh, are, are part of the uh, extensive Denial of America catalog, which is, which is a veritable treasure trove of information. So, you know, I mean, really excited to, to finally be here. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. Well, man, uh, you know, the pleasure is equally mine. I, I really do. I'm a huge fan, and, and uh, I was listening to uh, your episode with Greg Bishop, and I was struck by how you sort of had, like I said, the same kind of origin story uh, that I did. And, uh, you know, you're you're one of the good guys, RPJ. I'll tell you, you're one of the good guys. That's why uh, I'm happy to have you on the show. I'm a lot more discerning about who I have on the program uh, in, in, my, <laughs> in, in my later years here as I grow older and wiser, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm more cynical. Exactly. Well, yes, exactly. We'll get we'll get into that. Um, let's start off with the bio, the background. I'm sure there are people who are listening right now who, um, you know, they maybe they I don't know that wouldn't make any sense. I guess if they listen to Banal of America, I presume they sort of surf the uh, paranormal waves online, but maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. So tell people, you know, who is Red Pill Junkie, and explain sort of um, why why the non plume, if you will. If that's Who even the right word. Junkie? Well, yeah. I haven't the foggiest idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I really can't remember what kind of circumstances, you know, uh, triggered me to, to to come up with the name, you know, uh, because I remember I was starting to using it even before I became a, a member of the Daily Grey and, and after that one of the uh, Greg Taylor, who is the owner and uh, an editor of the Daily Grail, you know, one of his uh, collaborators and uh, news administrators, and uh, and after that, bloggers. And I suppose the reason why I chose the moniker was because um, by the time I went to watch uh, the Matrix movie, which was had a huge influence. On me, as people would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time uh, I was, I was already uh, a big fan of uh, Carlos Castañeda. I don't know if you have ever read one of his books. I haven't read the books, but we've talked about it sort of uh, in passing on the show with uh, with Adam Go Rightly. So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. familiar sort of with the whole with the whole story, but I have yeah. not uh, dug into it myself. Yeah, well, back in the day, you know, he was one of the biggest. Uh, figures in the counterculture movement. You know, he practically uh, kick-started it along with Tim Leary, you know, and all those guys, you know. Yeah. And then he 
became even uh, was highlighted on the Time magazine mm. at one time. But then, you know, it came all kind of crashing down with a lot of people who started to question the veracity of, uh, of his story, you know, and then uh, the whole thing started to devolve into you know, kind of like a cultish-like movement. And then the guy died of cancer, you know, which was kind of a not exactly the way uh, a true uh, sorcerer or brujo, as he was claiming to be, you know, should have ended his life. But then, you know, and my own opinion about it is that even if the whole thing is uh, completely a figment of his imagination, people should read the books because they are filled with a lot of uh, very insightful, uh, very uh, meaningful uh, uh, philosophical lessons they can apply to to their lives, you know, like the right. idea of like living living your life with uh, like a warrior, right? you know, thinking like, like a warrior. How you know, but thinking that you are a being that is about to die eventually. You know, about how uh, being aware of your own mortality is one of the things that give uh, meaning uh, and power to to your actions and all those things. So, but anyway. Uh, Getting back to the Matrix, when I first saw the movie, uh, the whole thing, you know, kind of like made sense because I felt that the movie was kind of like uh, uh, the cinematographic metaphor of Carlos Castaneda's philosophy, you know. Neo was like uh, Carlos, you know, this uh, neophyte, you know, this uh, sorcerer's apprentice who finds... uh, Morpheus, who is like like Don Juan, this Jackie Brujo, you know, who mm-hmm. takes the apprentice under his wing and and teaches him to 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 be aware of this bigger reality, you know, outside our normal sense of perception. Uh, but instead of using the red pill, like in in, in the Matrix movie, uh, Carlos Castaneda uses what he calls power plants, you know, the, the psychedelic substances like. Uh, uh, Peyote, uh, another another uh, uh, kind of uh, psychedelic plants, and from that the whole thing progresses, you know, and and that's when I realized that um, the whole thing is a very gnostic-like uh, story, you know, and yeah. I guess uh, it resonated with me so heavily because I I guess I am uh, a very gnostic-like individual myself. Hmm. Okay. But but tell me, sort of do the bio background, though. I mean, we kind of understand where the origin of the name came from, but, you know, yeah. what, what about the origin of the man? You know, how did all this come together? What what drove your interest in this? How long have you been interested in sort of the strange and unusual? And, and what led you to go sort of like uh, it, walk down a path that I did, which was sort of where you went from like a fan to a to a to a producer? You know, it's a, it's sort of a, there's only a few of us. I guess we all sort of start as fans, but at the same time, yeah. it's like you and I were kind of like very public fans of stuff, and then, <laughs> and then then all of a sudden it was like I'm gonna make stuff too. So that's mm-hmm. that's awesome because that's what I did. So uh, okay. you know, how did how did all this kind of happen? And 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 originally, what sparked the interest in all this? I really can't say what sparked the interest because as far as I can see, I've been interested in these sort of things well all my, all of my life. You know, like I said in in one video interview I I made last year when I was at the Paradigm Symposium with my friends Micah Hanks and and all those guys, 
I'm a I'm a children of the a child of the eighties, right? You know, mm-hmm. so I was I, I was born uh, right along when uh, Hollywood was uh, uh, producing films like Star Wars, Close Encounters of the, the Third Kind, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. So obviously, you know, that kind of uh, pop culture uh, uh, had a huge influence in me. Right. And at the same time, you know, I guess there was something else, you know, uh, I think that people in my family have also been interested in this, in these kind of things, uh, even before I was, uh, I was born. And the reason I, I say that is because, you know, I, I used to go to, to the houses of some of my, my relatives, some of my uncles or some of my great uncles, you know, and I will find in their, their libraries, you know, books about the Loch Ness Monster, of UFOs, and obviously those were the books that I would inevitably pick up whenever I went to visit them, you know, and I will just reread them over and over again, you know, and I guess uh, I guess what I'm trying to say, you know, is the, the interest has always been present in my life. You know? yeah. I, can't, I can't really remember a time when I was not interested in things like UFOs and, and cryptids and ghosts and all the like. Mm, okay. And then you just kind of started posting comments on stuff and, and ended up uh, writing on your own, writing uh, at various sites and stuff. So it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, it's a remarkable journey in a way. Yeah, I, due to a rather serendipitous set of circumstances, I ended up finding the Daily Grail back in 2007, I believe, and I became a member and I started to, you know, just hang out there, you know. There was a very lively and dynamic community of uh, free-thinking people who were sharing uh, all sorts of ideas and, uh, even more importantly so, you know, doing it in a very civil and cordial manner, you know. Mm-hmm. And after that, I guess, uh, Greg Taylor, who, as I said, you know, is the owner of the site, uh, ended up contacting me but via email, you know, and asking me whether I was interested in, in, in becoming even more involved with the site, not, ju- not instead of just being a member, you know, so right. becoming one of his new admins, you know. And obviously my first reaction was, <gasps> no, no way, you know. I, I was <laughs> terrified, you know. I felt I, felt I wasn't cut up for the job, you know, that, that my English was still, you know, had to, uh, wasn't uh, perfect enough for, for it. You know, but the guy said, you know, well, think about it, you know, uh, let me know, you know, if, if there's no rush. So I thought about it, you know, I, I think we were going through the uh, end of the year holidays. I was with my family in uh, in a beach somewhere, you know, and after that I said, you know, why not? You know, let's let's do it, you know, and uh, truly in hindsight, this, is, this was one of the best decisions of my life, you know, you know, becoming a, a member of the Daily Grail and from that, like you said, slowly, slowly progressing and becoming more and more and more involved on the paranormal scene until I became, you know, uh, a blogger, you know, mm. writing things of my own instead of just comments, you know, I've been a, one of the most interesting things that ever have happened to me, you know, it's, so far it's been a great ride. Nice, nice, yeah. Well, I can appreciate it because it's, you know, I've obviously because I have a similar background, I always sort of mm-hmm. say that this is the best way to <laughs> to to get Definitely. into all this because it's like I, like you, you know, I sort of spent years absorbing all this stuff before I said anything, 
You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. kind of like you need to sit at, you need to sit at the table and listen for a while yeah. before you can really talk. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, to, to, to turn on my cynical side, it's like, <laughs> there's a lot of people that just <laughs> sort of barge in and sit down at the table and have something to say. And it's like, where, where, where did you come from, man? And have, do you know A, B, and C or, or what? And, and nine, nine yeah. times out of 10, they don't. So it's kind of yeah. like, uh, geez, like what, what the hell? But you know, that's the paranormal for you. Anyone can come and sit at the table. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I'm sure that you realized along the way when you were just trying to get your toes uh, wet on the field, so to speak, is that whenever you you gather the courage to reach out for one of the big guys in the scene, you know, people like Stanton Friedman or Lauren Coleman, you find out that those guys, you know, are more than willing to to reply back, you know, to to right. us, you know, the naive. The whippersnappers, you know, the young guns, you know, because they themselves were the young guns once in a while, you know, and they reached out to Ivan Sanderson and all those other guys uh, who were the big guys uh, before them, right? So it's kind of interesting progression, you know. People will be uh, amazed to know that if you manage to go and, and actually write a letter to someone like Stan Friedman or some of those big names, they will reply you back, you know, they are that awesome, you know, mm. in, in, in a very mental-like kind of way. Yeah, yeah, both those guys are great. They're uh, serious, yeah, mentors, I guess you'd say, of, of this program for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I guess I, I kind of promised you when we were setting up the interview, I wouldn't focus too much on sort of uh, sort of the Mexican Fortiana realm, but... Mm-hmm. uh I, I did find it interesting. I was looking through one of your old pieces, and and you say that the you talk about the Mexican UFO wave of the early '90s and this eclipse event that sort yep. of uh, you said your interest in all this went into overdrive. So I guess yep. just sort of take me back, you know, because so we we are sort of carrying on this theme of the international programs over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. So I guess take me yep. back because we've never really talked about it on the show to this 1990s. Uh, UFO wave in Mexico. Cause I, I, obviously I've heard about it. I remember it. I know about the, uh, you know, the eclipse event. I've heard about it, but I've never really heard about it from somebody who was down there during the whole thing. And I guess you missed the, you didn't see the actual thing. Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the story of my life. <laughs> yeah. Tell us what happened there. But, but I guess just sort of, uh, you know, paint a picture, bring us back to that era, uh, when, when, you know, most of the audience, almost all the audience certainly wasn't, uh, able to experience it as you had. Okay. So, 1991, I was just finishing high school, you know, just getting ready to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, uh, it's kind of like uh, cliche to say, but it was really a different world back then, you know, we really didn't have anything like the internet. uh, (laughs) Cell phones, and more importantly than that, uh, camcorders were just beginning to to erupt in the market. You know, affordable en- enough uh, video camcorders that were just portable enough so people would start to to record. I don't know events like their weddings or their graduation proms or whatever. Yeah. Right. So there was this. Uh, uh, Eclipse, total eclipse that was going to happen and on, uh, in the 
a great part of the Mexican territory, just in the center and the, and the lower areas of the Mexican territory on July 11, 1991, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a very important event because it was, it was going to last quite a while, and I think more, uh, almost more than six minutes, which in, in terms of, uh, in astronomical terms, it, it really is a big deal, right? Right. So because, you know, total eclipses are not that rare, but, you know, eclipses that last that long are indeed, you know, just one in a century or something like that. So there was this going to happen. And like I wrote in that particular piece, I, I had decided to go on a, something of a road trip with one, some of my school friends, you know, an excuse to, to go out you know, and, and have fun on your own. But then when I got back and started to read the news, I realized that some people were claiming that they had seen a UFO right during the moment when there was the total eclipse of, of the sun, you know. And sure enough, on the Mexican television, there started to appear these videos taken by, by a few by a few witnesses, and not all of them were recorded on Mexico City. I have to point out some I think were. Uh, recorded in the city of Puebla, which is not that far, but it's not exactly right here. So one can assume that there were more than one object which were uh, hovering above these highly popula populated centers, you know, mm. right at the moment when people were going to look up on the sky. Right. You know, so one could really make the argument that uh, these objects were uh, doing this in a very deliberate fashion, you know, they were meant, they were, they were, they wanted to be seen. Right, right. Right? So, after that, things started to, to, to explode in, in the terms of uh, UFO sightings and riding, uh, riding the wave was uh, a young television uh, journalist with, by the name of Jaime Maussan, who, who uh, by the time, by that time, he was already making a name for himself uh, with his involvement with ufology, right? Right. But right. using the Mexican UFO wave, he really harnessed that that energy, that momentum, you know, and there's, he started to collect all sorts of uh, uh, videos that people were sending him to sending to his way, you know, and he was presenting those in a late night. And a TV talk show by the name of Yusef Keopina and What Do You Think, which was hosted by a guy by the name of Nino Canoon. And these programs were extremely popular. You know, I mean, there was this time when I think one of those programs last, lasted almost more than 11 hours. You know, it was like a, what? a like a record in, in Mexican television, if not worldwide, you know, and just talking about UFOs. That's crazy. You know, that was the kind of hunger and interest that was uh, among the public, especially people my age, you know, the, mm. the teenagers and the like, was really having this uh, craze for, to know more about about the phenomenon. We really thought back in those days that the wave was a signal of, uh, of that maybe, you know, uh, the UFO now or, or, or the ETs were really now be, be, starting a a close encounter with humankind, you know, that the, the uh, flying saucer was just going to land just uh, 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 next to the White House lawn any minute now.
Wow. That was like yeah. the, 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 the feeling back in those days, you know. And unfortunately, you know, that didn't come to happen, but <laughs> nevertheless, I still feel that the Mexican UFO way was one of the most important, um, activity cycles in, in the UFO phenomenon of the last, I don't know, 50 years or so. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, especially when you look at it now, where you don't seem to get anything uh, major happening nowadays. So it's it might be one of the last, you know, big gasps of uh, whatever the UFOs are up to. So there's this unquenchable thirst and interest in the UFOs down there. When did it all sort of fall apart, if you will? When did it kind of it sounds all, maybe it was like a fad, kind of. I'm just kind of trying to wrap my head like like sort of how the X X Files got everybody really hot into UFOs for a while here in the mm-hmm. states, and then. It kind of, uh, it kind of faded out. So, like, I guess when did it fade out and how could you tell? Just like, did these shows kind of like, uh, I guess they, the, the ratings must have gone down and things changed, right? Well, like you said, you know, people, uh, start to lose interest eventually, you know, I mean, how, how many blurry videos of blobs, you know, <laughs> of, uh, lights can you see? Before you started to say, okay, so what's next? You know, yeah. Tell, show me something more interesting, right? And I guess that by 1996, maybe with the arrival of the chupacabras, is when things started to 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 go down. You know, in terms of public interest, because I also have to point out that those days were very very important in terms of uh, social uprising and social disturbance hmm. here in this country. You know, there was a, there were a lot of uh, important uh, political events happening all around, you know, uh, like, for example, the Zapatista insurrection that happened, I think, in 1994 or 95, I'm not sure. But that was something that I, I guess people were starting to pay more attention to those kind of things. Yeah, and didn't the economy to, like take a big nosedive toward the uh, the late nineties? Sorry. Didn't the economy down in Mexico take a big nosedive like in the oh, late nineties? Yeah. yeah, you're correct. By the start of the the presidency of Ernesto Cedillo, who was you know right along uh, Carlos Salinas de Gortari, you know, the, the Mexican economy had a big crisis, and I, I think they call it the tequila effect or something. Here in Mexico, they call it the December error. But in, what happened is that, you know, many banks, you know, declared themselves in bankrupt, and they asked for the government to, to go and, and save them, right? Yeah. So m- much akin to what happened uh, in the United States and elsewhere, you know, in 2008, you know, right, you know right. the banks and say, you know, I have to save us. Same thing happened here. And yeah, I guess you're right. You know, when people are worrying about their income and their jobs, they're less interested in what's happening, you know, with UFOs and what things that are skipping around or up in the sky. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, what's the, cause people have asked me this, um, you know, with all this Roswell slide stuff. And, uh, I'm glad we got you on the show cause I'm, we're going to really try folks not to spend too much time on the Roswell slides. But what I tried to explain, what I couldn't really properly explain to people, um, because I didn't quite understand it is, I guess, and I want you to explain it cause you'll know. Uh, you talked about sort of like, 
in the early 90s, how Jaime Masson was this uh, up-and-coming journalist, uh, easily an enterprising journalist, let's say, because he kind of figured out the, the hook of these UFO videos and, and that it got people all worked up. That was yeah. like, what, 20 years ago. So I guess what's the, in Mexico, what's the perspective of Jaime Masson, uh, you know, to the average person and everything? I presume he's kind of like a celebrity, but then, you know, because you hear people in ufology talk about it, you know, and, and they spin it in a whole bunch of different ways. You know what I mean? Some people will say he's like the Dan Rather of, of Mexico, and other people will say, like, that he's a tabloid TV host in Mexico. So it's like I have no idea really sort of what his public standing is down there. So I guess what do people think about him? Like, what's, is there an American equivalent to him uh, that people might be able to sort of draw that comparison? What's, what's, his, what's his, his, the state of Jaime Masson in the, in the public eye down there uh, here in 2015? That's a that's an interesting question because even before he he became so focused on on the UFO phenomenon, you know, uh, he was involved in the Mexican version of uh, of the 60 Minutes TV program, you know. So he was making a lot of uh, uh, journalist exposés on, on 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 things like the environment and the ozone layer and all that. So he he always had the rap of being like a very like you said a tabloid like type of sensationalistic type of journalist. Even though it has to be said, you know, the things that he was talking about twenty twenty five years ago, like for example global warming on the ocean layer, you know, now have become uh, part of the mainstream, right? So in in a way he was uh, vindicated vindicated of sorts. But now. Uh, after, like you said, he he uh, harnessed the energy of the Mexican UFO way of the 1990s with these um, videos he produced called uh, Luces en el Cielo, Lights in the Sky, you know, which to my mind are still a very important historical document. I think that probably the best uh, exposition or, or documentary about the, the, that particular time in history in Mexico he then produced his a program uh, TV program called Tercer Millennium, the third millennium, which are still running in, in Mexican television, uh, and he has also, you know, making all sorts of uh, appearances and uh, on on other different uh, TV shows along the along the, these years. But the problem is that uh, he has slowly but surely lost. A lot of credibility, the credibility he once enjoyed, you yeah. know, in the early 90s, you know, I mean, because he supported a lot of cases which eventually turned out to be, you know, either hoaxes or, or dubious, you know. Hmm. There was this guy whose name I don't recall right now, is this, this, uh, American doctor. Well, he calls himself doctor, you know. Oh, Dr. Jonathan Reed. Exactly, Jonathan Reed, you know, the guy who's claimed to have you know, like an alien on his freezer, you know, <laughs> and that the alien had used some kind of weapon to, to transmogrify his bulldog, you know, and like putting him from the inside out or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some crazy know? stuff, and, yeah. Exactly, and, and now Sam was in, in, in some of the uh, programs with most ratings in Mexico, in, in Mexico television, like, uh, uh, showing this guy, you know, and showing his story and claiming that he, the guy was the real deal. And unfortunately, to this day, you know, Mausan is still 
supporting the story behind the guy, you know, even though that, you know, you ask to, uh, an American apologist and nine, nine out of ten will tell you that Jonathan Reed was a charlatan. Right, right. You know, so those are the things that which have really hindered his, his public figure, you know, uh, in a part of the, of the Mexican populace, but it has to be said, you know, the guy still uh, has a lot of support from the Mexican public, you know, that was easily confirmed uh, when I went to the uh, Be Witness event on my, May the 5th, you know. I mean, the guy didn't actually manage to fill the whole of the National Auditorium, which is a full capacity of 10,000 seats, but I guess it's the guy came close because there were about between six thousand and seven thousand people wow. you know who paid money to 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 watch this event you know so that says something i I'm not sure if the people in the United States will be able to 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 replicate that kind of success you know i mean go to oh no way like, i don't know <laughs> yeah they'll be lucky I mean, to get six hundred at an event. Exactly, you know, so that's something, you know, there, there's something about the guy is still, and it has to be said, you know, the guy is very charismatic, you know, the mm, guy yeah, has absolutely. this aura, you know, uh, he's very passionate about it. I mean, I know that after what happened on the, on the native event, many, most people are attacking him and saying that he did it all for the money, you know, that who knows what much money he managed to, to make. Out of this event, he actually says that he lost money, but I honestly think that he did it not be, not because of monetary reasons. You know, I think that he genuinely believed that the Roswell slides were something important, or maybe he just wanted to embed himself in the Roswell mythology. Who knows? Or maybe he wanted to go down in the history books, you know, with being the only guy who managed to fill the National Auditorium with a UFO uh, event. Mm. But the thing is that the guy is not really... Uh, he's not doing it just for the money. Otherwise, he he will have bailed out of the UFO scene a long time ago. That's what I feel like, anyway. Okay. That makes sense, yeah. Well, it's an interesting. I guess we will get into the Roswell slides because six thousand people—that's amazing. How much? Yeah. The logistics of it, I guess. Like, how long? How long were they promoting this thing down there, and how much did it cost even to get in to check it out? Well, he started promoting it since early February. I think that February the fifth, which is a, a national holiday here in Mexico, in Mexico, he held a a press conference and in which he announced that he was going to organize this event. Okay, it's like three months. Uh, yeah, and he they then uh, launched a very aggressive uh, personal promote, uh, campaign to promote the event. He, he went to several uh, radio stations, you know, and, and, and probably several TV programs, TV shows, in order to, to, to promote the event. In uh, the, the price of the ticket varied greatly according to, to, to where you were, you know, to how close you were to, to the stage. I think myself and my cousin Fernando, who I asked him to, to come with me because he's also very interested in UFOs, he's been for, for a long time. I think we paid about $50 for, 
50 US dollars in, well, in what is in pesos, like 750 pesos or something for, for our prices, for our, for our, for our tickets, which were in the balcony section, you know. Oh, wow. Well, fairly, fairly close to, to, to the stage, you know, not, not as close that you wouldn't be able to, to watch the, the faces of, you know, Richard Dolan or, or all the people who were, you know, invited, but. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the cheapest, the tickets, I think they were like 400 pesos, which will be like 30, $30 or less. You know, I, I, I think it has, uh, yeah, it has to do with like that. where you're sitting and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. That, yeah. Although those, uh, those were the, the, the seats that were, uh, less filled. But in any case, you could say that the guy did, uh, did his best to accommodate people of, uh, uh, all sorts of uh, economic background, you know, even people who, w- who wouldn't be able to 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 pay as much for for a ticket. You know? yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't really that that expensive. Otherwise, I I, I wouldn't have attended in the first. Place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That you sound like me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, what was the mood like? I guess I, it's, I find it hard to believe that all these people were sort of like UFO true believers. So I kind of figure that maybe it was a diverse mix of people who like were intrigued by this and maybe just people sort of out for, 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 for entertainment. Maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to get sort of in the minds of this crowd and what, what was their reaction to the event? You know, were they, were they, were they impressed with this slide or were they dismayed when it was all said and done? I'm not well, taking into account what we find out later. I just mean like that night. Well, perhaps if we take into account the the sort of things we've been uh, discussing earlier about the Mexican Europe way, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that explains why so many people attended in the first place. Because there were people of all sorts of ages. I mean, uh, even my cousin Fernando, you know, was kind of surprised and say, "Oh, look, look how many old ladies are here in the in the <laughs> theater," you know. And, it was, and I said, "Yeah, right," you know. And I started to wonder if the if the demographics of this event kind of equated the things that started to happen in American UFO conventions, you know, when people say that only senior citizens, you know, have, people who have pensions, you know, have enough time to. Fans, you know, are the ones who bother to uh, attend one of these uh, conferences instead of, you know, just finding the UFO stuff on the web. But there were also people of my age, you know, between 30 and 50 years old, you know. So maybe those people have had a lifetime interest in UFOs, maybe triggered by a personal sighting, you know. Mm. You know, maybe someone saw a UFO. 30 years ago, something that really had a huge impact on them, you know, and because of that, they started to follow Mausan, and then they heard about this, you know, and they said, you know, I mean, and after he hyped, hyped it so much, you know, he said, you know, these are, you know, the event that will go down in history because for the first time, we have proof, you know, that aliens have visited this planet, you know, and you you hear something like that, you will say, Oh my god, you know Yeah, that's yeah, pretty maybe, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cut and dry. You can't really argue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was the reaction when they saw the slide? Uh yeah, the reaction was I guess positive. You know, I positive, think yeah. that yeah, th- 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 there was definitely not 
kind of like uh, whistling of people saying, this is bull crap, you know, this is phony, you know, right, there yeah, was yeah. nothing of that, you know, hmm. you know, even if someone was, you know, not really buying it, I don't think they, they would have dared, you know, to, to, to expose themselves, you know, like, yeah. imagine if you're like in a football stadium, you know, and you are, you know, rooting for the other, for, for the other team, you know, right in the middle of a whole of hooligans, you know, you're yeah, not yeah, trying yeah. to. <laughs> You're going to keep your mouth shut, right? Right, right. You had to get out to the car to say, like, oh, shit, that slide was awful. What what, what, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I even asked my cousin, you know, did you did you buy this? You know, did you think this is the real thing? And and I think he he, he was really interested. I, I, I mean, he, uh, I when I went with him, you know, I didn't expose him to all the things that I had already searched with regards to the leaked images of the slides right. that that had appeared, you know, almost like a month after Mausan had announced the, the, the big event, you know, and he which in, greatly enraged him, you know, I mean he was really pissed off about it, you know. And I tried to to keep that to myself because I really wanted to have uh, I wanted to see an honest reaction from him. So by gauging his reaction, I guess that most people became convinced by the 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 evidence or quote unquote evidence that he presented. Also, given the fact that he he also uh, had all these uh, supposed academicians and very you know credited scientists who yeah. were you know telling the people with all sorts of uh, uh, anatomical you know, very technical terms you know how this uh, body was definitely not concordant with a normal human anatomy and all that you know so those kind of things were coupled with the energy of true release, maybe that's why people were, you know, so willing to 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 conceive, you know, and and, and accept what they presented, mm. as little as what they presented, you know, as a real deal. Now what I found striking coming out of the whole thing was uh you know, obviously it was the crazy reaction from ufology where they just crushed the story within like forty eight hours, which was awesome. Um but it was like I, I I I said to Greg Bishop, it felt like it was when ufology finally jumped the shark, because it's like even none of the American press even even covered this, you know, even the most yeah. even the most ridiculous tabloid sort of uh, websites and stuff like that. Not no, no nobody touched this story. I think the only yeah. papers that touched it were a couple of UK tabloids. Yeah, the Negro and the like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, and so to me it was like, well, clearly this this is. Beyond the, the veracity of the slides and everything, it's like clear now that that uh, this this subject is beyond not being taken seriously by the uh, the media. You know, here. Let me ask you this, you know, because uh, we even have had this discussion uh, on a previous occasion. You know, the, remember that time when I kind of like jibe you and Brett and Graf when you have one of these end of the year reviews, you know. Oh yes. This thing about ufology in China, you know, and I kind of like went after you, you know, with a very stupid comment, like you know, kind of like sounded like very sort of jingoistic, you know, in a way. Oh wait a minute, that was you. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> no, 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 it's all right, it's all right. Well, look, well, let me just finish sort of my thought okay. here, and then you can, because sure, sure. I may be 
Because what I may finish saying may change what you want to say. So that's okay. – I don't, I don't want to have like a miscommunication. Um, I guess the point the, – the question that I had wrapped up in all that for you was I know for a fact the U.S. media didn't cover it. I'm, I know that the – a couple of tabloids in the U.K. covered it. What was the coverage like in Mexico of this? Because it took place in Mexico. and I mean 6,000 yeah. people were there. So clearly there – you know, clearly there was interest, so I presume that it was covered. So that that's sort of the question. Now you can continue with. But <laughs> well, I don't remember the. I I kind of remember the exchange, but uh, yeah, the, you know what I mean. The, the, what, what I was going with that is before I uh, answer your question is that do you think that the fact that the event wasn't held in the United States had a reason uh, was behind the 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 lack of coverage it managed to have. It, I'm it, sure it, the a percent of the yeah, the spice of how lousy you know the the evidence actually right, was. Right. You know, the, even before actually so, uh, somebody you know actually saw the, the the slides themselves. I'm sure there was definitely a uh, you know a bias there. I'd say definitely like a percentage of of the of the reasoning behind the lack of coverage was that it took place outside of America. So, I mean, I can't, I mean, 30%, 40%, something like that, you know, because I'm sure that's the way it is. But but at the same time, it's like, I was surprised because I felt like this was, again, 6,000 people going to see a UFO, an alien <laughs> slide unveiling. That should be yeah. news just on the face of it, whether or not yeah. the slide is real or not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, to me, it makes no sense. Um, So I don't know. You know, to me, it says to me that that the that the media is kind of like, oh, these UFO, you know, don't even pay attention to this 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 stuff. They they you know they never deliver anything good. Yeah. But uh, now, the more I'm thinking about your your point and your question, I think maybe I, I should raise the percentage even more though, because you know, if you look at it like. If we're, it seems like there's one theme that's emerged in, in over the last few years here in ufology. It's that it's it's the it's the spectacle of of uh, stupidity, <laughs> yeah. you know, stupid spectacles. Let's say, and and you know, we're talking about really that I am of the, uh, the 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 big fake congressional hearing they had. Yeah, yeah. So to me, yeah, good point. But, and the point is, I guess, like that's I guess the closest equivalent to this, and that got a fair amount of coverage. So yeah. You know, yeah. but that happened in D.C. So again, I think you, yeah. I think maybe there is a maybe there is sort of a a nationalist bias in a way to the whole thing where they were like, well, it happened in Mexico, so don't even you know. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's entirely possible. Yeah. And the, and then again, you know, the fact that okay, it happened in Mexico, but it had to do with a a, a case that is so emblematic with the United States. And exactly. Roswell, you know, it was about you know a UFO event happening in Mexico that had to do with a case, you know, a, a UFO case that was, you know, from Latin America, you know, that would, that would have made more sense, you know, mm. then, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, talking of something that happened in, in, in Paris, France, you know, and, and you go to China, you know, that's, yeah, kind of like you said, but getting back to your question, uh, it kind of gets a bit of coverage here in, in the Mexican media, not, not as much. Uh, there may be many reasons uh, for that, you know. Uh, we were, after all, right in the middle of a very uh, important and controversial uh, uh, political campaign. You know, there was these uh, elections coming uh, the next month. 
you know, and the, there were all sorts of things happening in, in, in the Mexican political scene at that time, a lot of scandals and all that. So, so maybe, uh, People were not really paying attention to Maussan's and his and Sila UFOs because of all, all of those uh, quote unquote important things happening mm. in the national scene, right? Yeah, I think another possibility too might just be that it got debunked so quickly that maybe uh, it, it it pulled the rug out from under any subsequent coverage. You know what I mean? Because I think well, they they definitely debunked it within like forty eight hours, if not. Yeah, they sooner. got debunked, but but. Maybe only people in the English-speaking countries notice that it got the bomb so quickly. Right. You know, because Maussan certainly took his time in actually acknowledging, you know, the, the, the debunkers, you know, and, and going after them, you know. Mm. Uh, but uh, in, I'm sure that in Mexico, you know, maybe uh, there's still a lot of people who went to the event in May and haven't even heard the fact that the the, the slides were uh, debunked and that the placard was deciphered, you know? Hmm. So, well, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I just don't know. I, I would presume, let's say, like, if I went to the event, dude, and it's like now two months later and <laughs> it, yeah. it's not all over the news and everything, I think I, at that point I'd be like, all right, well, clearly, even if I wasn't connected to what, what actually happened you know what i mean even if i didn't know what yeah. happened i think at that point i'd be like well that must have been bullshit because you know there, there hasn't been some widespread ufo disclosure or anything people nothing's or, changed or if you're or if you are so caught up with the will to believe you you the fact that it's not being acknowledged by the powers that be reinforces your suspicions that the governments don't want to disclose mm. the, the UFO reality, you know. And you see, you know, the fact that they don't pay attention to it, you know, it clearly shows that it was so important, you know. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I, I forgot about that mindset of people, but they're out there. <laughs> they frighten me. <laughs> I mean, Mausam himself, you know, he said, you know, the fact that, that the, the, the placards the, the 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 slides have been attacked so much. It's it's a clear sign that the, the this is a this mocking gun that ufology has been uh, looking for all all this time. You know, it's it, 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 it's always trying to reinforce mm. his uh, his mindset. You know, his worldview. You know, yeah. all the things that happened. You know, uh, it's very difficult for for a person to actually you know to. Uh, Look at things uh, from a completely different perspective from the ones you were you were holding and cherishing cherishing so much. You know, it's it's difficult because you best 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 so much um, energy uh, and and feelings, you know, and emotion, you know, yeah. defending your 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 position about some topic, you know, that when. Someone presents you with very convincing uh, evidence, refuting your, your 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 position instead of you know acknowledging and changing your position. You will you know close your eyes, you close your ears, you know, and and and, and look for ways to debunk this uh, refuting information. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, that's one of the problems facing ufology as a whole. Uh, yeah, talked about this on the show before, where it's like. Uh, you don't never, like the old commercial says. Uh, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. It's like ufology yeah, yeah. already made it. The UFOs made their first impression, like in the 40s and 50s, and 
we were just, we never, you know, we haven't been able to overcome the, the mindset that's been ingrained in generations ever since, whether they're pro or, 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 or anti, you know, it's, it's like people who are ingrained in that, they're just not going to really change their mind. So it's a, it's yeah, a and the problem is that it, it, the first ufology, you know, Donald Kehoe, you know, the guys, the, the Coral Lorenz and the people behind APRO and all that. Even, uh, Jay, uh, Dr. Heineck at mm-hmm. the first, at the beginning, you know, they were all, uh, supporting and promoting the idea that UFOs were extraterrestrial vehicles. You know, that was the, the, the and that is still is uh, the paradigm that ufology is starting to promote, you know? So, yeah. And people who, that like Jacques Vallée and even our friend Greg Bishop and John Keel, when people would come up with dissenting theories and ideas, you know, things that don't fit in that kind of paradigm, you know, they they, they get shunned out out of the field. But the problem is that, you know, it has become so untenable, you know, the extraterrestrial hypothesis that maybe that's the reason why, you know, the, the mainstream media, you know, see us as a, as, a, as a joke. That's part of it for sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it may be an earned reputation though. It may be, they may be right. <laughs> you know, it's like, how can, how can this, how can a group of people try to figure something out and be, and, 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 and still not be able to do it? You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, they, uh, the, the blame lies obviously with the humans and the, and whatever the, the thing is, you know, whatever UFOs are. Uh, oh, definitely. You know, it's like, we, it's, it's, we're trying to solve a very difficult puzzle and it's, Let's be honest. Like the best, uh, we're we're not working with the best in the and the be- of the best here. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, the top minds in the world aren't trying to figure this out. So, well, maybe they are, but they are not certainly not doing doing it uh, inside right. UFO yeah. conventions. Right? <laughs> yeah, they, they don't. They're it. not telling us what they're what they're coming up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what Jack Vallee called the invisible college. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you look at the state of ufology sometimes and. Uh, you think maybe they're on the right track just to kind of bail out at times. Cause it's like, if you're not really promoting the, if you're not really a promoter, it's hard to really, to sort of find a niche in a way. You know, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. But, and then, and then, and the problem too is like you have to, is that you have to find a niche or something. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a real, it's a, it's a combination of like science and entertainment. And, yeah, yeah. and it's like, it seems like right now the entertainment part's like way outweighing the science part. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's the problem. I remember. See, I thought when you mentioned the thing about the year in review, I thought you were going to mention that <laughs> you 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 tweeted something uh, when Greg and I did one. Uh, I think the most recent one or something. But you, I think he was like uh, something like uh, nothing like listening to banal wine about uf- <laughs> ufology on the year in review <laughs> yeah. episode. And it's yeah. like I I'm sure there was some whining, but I think you can agree with me, dude. Uh, you know, I, I think I think we have the. The right to be cynical about this at this point. I mean, well, that's just yes, my take. Yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, take take the Roswell the Roswell flight. For instance, you, know? mm-hmm. you can see it like like uh, uh, the lowest point in ufology's uh, uh, history, but also you can see. The group that came out of it, you know, I mean, the people, the, the Roswell with the slide research group, you know, which is a group composed of both, uh, people who are pro UFOs and also very, you know, hardcore skeptics, you know, right. like Lance Moody and, and all those guys. Uh, uh, 
they got together for a common goal mm. and they managed to, to put their minds together and their energy and they managed to figure this thing out in a matter of hours, you know? Yeah. And that, that I think it's a, it's a, it's a good thing, you know? If, if, if that could be replicated and harnessed in, to, to, all, to try to solve or maybe not solve, but try to, to come up with more information about other UFO cases, you know, that could be a very, very interesting development for ufology. That's true. That's true. And I got to give you credit, man, because, you know, there's a certain sense of, like, whimsy about your stuff that I really like, uh, like a great sense of humor, and also sort of, like, wonderment that you don't have really the the cynical bug as badly as I have. So I, I, that's why I like your stuff a lot too, because it's like I, I you, you know need, why, you need why, positive, why positivity that? sometimes. You know why is that? Because I have made my peace with the fact that I'm never going to solve this phenomenon in my lifetime. That I'm going to go to my grave without ever figuring out what UFOs are, and that's okay because it as cliche as it sounds, you know, the journey is a destination. You know, I've I've, I've sometimes mentioned how ufology has become something of a personal alchemy for me, you know. Alchemy, you know, people have this, you know, kind of a, a cartoon idea that the alchemists were only trying to turn lead into gold. But that was only like a byproduct, you know. The ultimate goal of the great work as they called it was to transform the transform the alchemists themselves, you know, to transmutate their earthly matter into divine essence, hmm. you know, and in a way, ufology has managed to do that for me, you know, it has been a, a, a good uh, endeavor and a hobby, if you want to call it, you know, I, I, I don't see why not, because he has managed me to, to uh, has forced me to learn so much, you know, to grow both intellectually and uh, and even spiritually, you know, I mean, our friend, our common friend, Mike Lennon, is quite right that if you do this thing right, you know, ufology, you begin by asking yourself about lights in the sky, but you will eventually progress and end up uh, asking about God, you know? Hmm. So, I mean, it's not like ufology is my religion, but I can definitely say that ufology has become my path of enlightenment, you know, in a way. That's deep, man. I like that. That's uh, That's some profound thinking. You, uh, yeah, you, you sort of crystallize it in a much better way than I, than I could, but I, I totally agree with you. You know, I've said before, uh, to, to a guest recently, it was, you know, it's like the, maybe the whole point of life on earth is to ask these questions of like why we're here in the mm-hmm. first place. So, you know, yeah. and no one's really, no one does that, but you see people in the paranormal do it a lot because <laughs> that's sort of, because, because the, the paranormal is like right up against the, the edge of, of, uh, you know, the great mysteries that have been around forever, which is like what happens when you die. Now, that, the, what I just said actually made me think of, uh, another one of your pieces here because, uh, I apologize because you say you loathe the word paranormal. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that, that take because, uh, again, to see a similarity between us because, for a long, long time when I started out, I, I substituted the word esoteric for paranormal because I felt like paranormal was too commercialized. Um, yeah. But over time, I sort of brought paranormal back into my vernacular just because it was easier and people didn't get it, you know, for <laughs> for a while, mm-hmm. uh, the esoteric thing. So I kind of use them now interchangeably uh, more often than not. But uh, I'm interested in, in your take on that because you, again, have a more profound sort of idea of, 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 you know, why the word paranormal is kind of 
a misnomer for all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's so um, ill-conceived and so and so um, not very. Uh, it doesn't fit with the, the, this kind of uh, phenomena in the first place because uh, it kind of presupposes that these phenomena and activities like go outside the quote-unquote normal. Uh, laws of nature, you know, like they kind of violate it in a way, you know, and it's a very, it's a very arrogant attitude because, you know, like if we we humans still have a lot of things to figure out, you know, how dare we to think that, you know, uh, we know so much already, you know, that we have figured so much out that uh, these things, you know, don't fit with our little model of the universe and therefore they can't exist you know well maybe that's because our little model of the universe is still needs it's still a work in progress right mm. yeah and the other thing is that it also also presupposes that these events are so rare and only happens you know with alone uh, uh, only to a handful of people you know like stephen hawking said and only the uh, the weirdos and the cranks, you know, are the, are, the, are the people who see UFOs, right? Yeah. But the thing is that I'm sure you have witnessed these experiences of the uh, first-hand thing, you know. You start to talk to anyone, you know, on a bar or on the street or maybe like myself when I was going to Paradise Symposium last year, you know, and I was, you know, uh, facing the immigration agent at the, at the, uh, at the Texas airport, you know, and the guy said, oh, they always ask you, you know, what's the reason for your visit, you know, mm-hmm. I always tell the truth, I go, I'm going to the Paradigm Symposium, they all, they reply, you know, what's that, you know, and I start, uh, I answer and explain how this, uh, it's an event about when we talk about UFOs and esoteric things and things that go bump in the night, and the guy, the agent, looked at me in the eyes and, and, and said, "Oh, so you are into all, all sorts, that sort of thing." And I was like, "Yeah, you know, kind of like expecting some kind of uh, sarcastic comment, you yeah. know, so kind of jive." And the guy, after two seconds, he said, "I once saw a UFO near the Mexican border, you know," and <laughs> started to spend the next two minutes or so, you know, describing how he saw this metallic-looking. Uh, things, you know, go sit, you know, back and forth and starting to hover and revolve around each other, you know, and all the while I'm kind of like seeing the people back uh, in the back, you know, I'm kind of saying, okay, when is this guy going to stamp <laughs> my yeah. passport so I can go and catch my flight, you know? They're starting so to wonder who yeah. you are. They're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're sizing you up. But, but the anecdote goes to show that anybody can experience these kind of events. It's just that our society and our culture is um, teaching us to disregard them, you know, like uh, as abnormalities, you know, hmm. freaks, uh, bizarre things that shouldn't really be, be taken seriously, you know, and even if it happens to you, you know, well, you know, maybe you you uh, didn't really see what you uh, what you saw, you know, you maybe you had some kind of hallucination and all that, you know, and people convince themselves, you know, in the end, yeah. that it, it, especially if, if it was something really bizarre, you know, only 
people in the outside, you know, the outsiders are the ones who say, wait a minute, you know, but what about that thing I saw, you know, mm. what does it really mean, you know, and that's why in the end, you know, you, you end up with ufology filled with all sorts of mystics and outsiders and iconoclasts, you know, and then trying to uh, make these people, you know, get together and agree on something is like harder than herding cats, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's not, it's not because it's only happening to us. It's because we are the ones who are willing to spend our time, you know, pursuing those events, you know, yeah. in spite of what society is telling us, you know, and because these are, are the things that go against the grain of our civilization. Hmm. Well, I, I think about sort of the, the leap that you and I both made from like fan to producer of stuff. And it's like, there are times in my life where I wonder if I should have just stayed a fan. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's sort of like that. And it's remarkable what you say about this security guard in a sense, because it is, I've had that experience and it, it really is kind of like, what's going on over there? Yeah, my cell phone, sorry. You're out of control. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's remarkable because like when you talk to somebody, when somebody shares their UFO story with you, it, it really is, I mean, I, I have grown cynical and I've gotten to the point where it's kind of like, I, I try to avoid really opening up too much to people so I don't have to hear a story like, uh, of someone's UFO sighting. But, mm -hmm. but I really should probably change that because the more I think about it, it's like there is a sense of wonder from the people that really is remarkable. It's like, you know, when you hear that story that this was something that like changed their life or, we're sort of like, I don't know. It's hard to put yeah. a finger on it, but it's like they, there is, they there's like yeah, a, a magical element to it almost. Yeah, and there is this need to share it with someone else, you know, mm. to just to not keeping it all, all to yourself, you know, because uh, it's so profound, you know, like uh, that you actually like you feel not confirmation or validation, you know, but like feel to have it being bounced up from from an, from another uh, mind, you know? And when people see that you are not going to mock them or going to be overtly skeptical, even though sometimes you need to, you know, when you are going to be open-minded and see that it was meaningful and important to them, and, and that's also something that we should mention, you know, how the paranormal the paranormal world has a very uh, important, overtly personal component in everything that happens. You know, I mean, a UFO sighting that has a, such a particular meaning for you alone, and it was only meant for the person who experiences. You know, like a synchronicity. You know, you try to explain to someone else. You know, uh, a synchronicity that happened to you, and that. It, it kind of loses its magic when you trying to explain it to a different person, you know, because you can't recreate that sense of wonder that happened, you know, traverse your mind when you some that happened, you know. But uh, yeah, that, that there's this need to to share uh, the event because people need to feel that it's not only happening to themselves, that it, that not only themselves are interested into into this and 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 they're trying to figure out what it what it all means hmm. it's uh have you i guess this is a good 
sort of uh, direction to go in a way because, yeah. you know, people always bug me. <laughs> they want to know, well, what do you think? Uh, but mm. since this is my show, I get to ask that question. So <laughs> uh, as someone who is an observer of all this, you know, what do you think is going on? I mean, it's nearly – I mean, you said you'd go to your grave not really knowing what it is. But, I mean, do you have any – you know, what's your best guess? What's your suspicion? My best guess is that the UFO phenomenon hints to a reality that is bigger and more more complex than we can possibly fathom. And they also seem to, to originate from uh, uh, realities from which – our own reality is only a tiny subset. So in other words, you know, maybe the best way I could say it is that UFOs are real. We who are imaginary. Mm, I like that. I like that. That makes sense. Yeah. As crazy as it sounds, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to that in a way. Because it's like you talked about sort of like this arrogance of the of the human race. It's it, there is a real problem there where it's like mm -hmm. we can't we can't un unstick ourselves from the center of the universe, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to take something that does that that'll unlock maybe the ability to understand all this or figure it out, you know? So it's it's I think that's a difficult part of it all. You know, we're, we're beholden to our own sort of like selfish desire to keep us at the center of the, of the universe. So. And it's a paradox because at the same time, you know, uh, modern science has always tried to beat us, you know, out of a, a, a out of a supposed uh, encumbered place in the, in, in, in the, in the universe. You know, it's just, it's always tried trying to belittle us and saying, you know, okay, so so the Earth is not really that the center of the universe, it's just a planet in the solar system, you know. Yeah. And then, oh, well, but the solar system is just, you know, a tiny fraction of a, of a galaxy, which is also, you know, a tiny fraction of, a, 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 of the universe. And it's always trying to say, you know, see, you know, you and your life are utterly meaningless. You know, this is something that, that our friend, common friend Alex Akiris, you know, is always yeah. fighting with the, with the arch skeptics and because these guys, you know, they're obviously coming from a very materialistic and very, you know, mm -hmm. let's say it, an, an atheist worldview, you know. My way of thinking it is that the fact that we humans are aware of our own irrelevance in the universe is the very reason that gives us our relevance. Yeah. You know, you see what I'm saying? I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, we are irrelevant, but at the same time, we're not irrelevant because, in, like Carl Sagan says, we are the way in which the universe is experiencing itself from a subjective point of view. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's, uh, it is. Yeah, well, there's this, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm continually, again, cynical about sort of just the scientific world and and how they handle all this stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it's just it just makes me very agitated because I, I don't understand. Well, I do understand it sort of like on a psychological level, but it's very frustrating. Or it's like just let's, can we just all be on the same page here? Can we just take an honest look at this without all the agendas? You know, 
I, I, I think there's like a group of people in sort of ufology that are kind of coming together with that kind of attitude and, and being sort of more just generally inquisitive rather than, uh, you know, pushing sort of an agenda of, uh, having a solution or something like that. So it seems like we're doing our part, but the, <laughs> but, but the other side, there's no one really, well, there's guys like Tyler Coke, John, and a few other folks that are sort of, uh, are, are crossing the line to the middle with us, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's increasingly difficult. Yeah, I mean, uh, like our Greg, uh, our friend Greg Bischoff is so fun to say, and I happen to agree with him, you know, the answer to ufology is probably going to come from outside ufology, mm. you know, and that's not such a terrible thing to, to ponder, you know, I mean, you know, so what, you know, so, so the answers will probably come from outside the field, you know, and maybe from people who, who approach the, the 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 mystery and the phenomenon from a completely left side uh, view, you know. But then again, you know, well, we've been spending the last 60 years or so, you know, collecting uh, files on a cabinet, you know, like our friend Nick Redford is so fond of criticizing, you know. Exactly. He complete cabinets full of files. You know, how many files do we need before we think, okay, I think we have enough. Now we start to 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 parse this thing out and see we can what what we can come up with, you know, and maybe the, the, maybe we have to admit that is not the approach. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's what got me excited about the Jacques Vallée stuff that was coming out last yeah. year that he was going to try and put together this database. I thought that was like the best story of the year, and and you know, it really was kind of underreported. I thought, and sort of like these year in review type things, because it was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here's someone trying something. Here's someone, you know, who's come up with a pretty good idea. That that like, well, who's coming up with the good ideas to figure this out? Uh, you're not. They're few and far between. So it's yeah, you know, you got to applaud it when it happens, but. Yeah, I don't. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what what else can be done because it's like the collection of files doesn't seem to work, and you know the reports is how many reports do you need? It goes back to that whole thing, and then it's. It, but the the problem I think with ufology, and I I, I preface all this sort of ufology talk with American American ufology because I do want to know yeah, from yeah. you if there is a I'm sure there's like a Mexican ufology scene and what that's like. So before I get into that, I just want to sort of put a bow on this it's just that uh now i lost my train of thought because i started thinking about mexican ufology so but, but the american <laughs> the, 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 thinking of sombrero like ufos <laughs> 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 um yeah yeah well i guess the point i'm trying to make is that american ufology is just uh it it just doesn't seem to be you know that, that that's it that's it there, there's the train just just arrived uh it's it's like American ufology seems to have made this leap from like, okay, we've done, we've collected enough cases. Now we want the answer without sort of, it's like, it doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? It's like, no one seems to have informed these exopolitics folks that it's like, and you know what it is? I honestly feel like it, there's a personal thing. Like you talk about the, the old ladies at the, uh, at the, at the, at the, uh, event down there on May 5th. It's like, I almost wonder if it's sort of like people that have been in this for so long where they're like, we deserve this. You owe us yeah, this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, you, we don't, no one owes you anything just because yeah. you had an interest in this for, for, for 40 years or, or whatever, or, or, or spent your life chasing after this for like 30 something years or 40 something or 50 something years. Like no one owes you anything, unfortunately. 
And it's like, it's the job of the UFO researchers to figure this out. It's not that it's, it's not up to, it's not up to us just to get a whole bunch of stuff and then be like, we have a bunch of stuff. Tell us what it means. It's like, it just, yeah, doesn't, I mean, just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, and, and the journey itself, you know, it's, it's the thing that prepares you, you know, for managing to, to be able to carry on with the burden of the knowledge. You know, I, I don't know. I get what I'm trying to say. Like, uh, for example, in any kind of like uh, uh, mythical story, you know, like uh, George Campbell and you think with the hero, you know, the, like if you go to Luke Skywalker in the first Star Wars movie and say, oh, by the way, Darth Vader is your father, <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, here, here's the lightsaber, you know, go and say, no, it's not, it doesn't work that way. You know, you really have to do the leg work. You know, I think that it's the same with ufology. It's the same with all kind of... Uh, thing that that is meaningful in life you know i mean just trying to uh, uh, extend your hand and say give me give me give me this thing that uh, that i know that you have and, and that i that i feel that i deserve it's not really going to work i think that you know i'm i'm very critical of, of, of uh, someone like steve greer you know that i think that uh, I, I don't like uh, his take on, on the phenomenon and his approach, but that said, I kind of like his idea of saying, you know, screw the governments of the world, you know, we are going to have a direct experience with the phenomenon all by ourselves. Yeah. Right? To me, that's more valid and more interesting than, than the idea of waiting outside the, the, the doors of Congress or, or the White House gate, mm. you know, expecting that these people who have, if you if you think that is the case, they have lied about what they know about the UFO phenomenon, that all of a sudden they're going to come around and say, oh yeah, you're right, you know, I, th- I guess you have, you guys have matured enough, I think, I guess you guys can handle the truth. Yeah, yeah. here, here are all the files, you know, that we've been compiling, <laughs> you know, right. about this phenomenon all these years. Here you go, you know, what it Bishop says, you know, what if these guys have also, you know, a whole cellar or a whole warehouse full of files of cases, and they still don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Because that's, hap- that's, that's what's happening to me, Tim. I mean, I've been studying UFOs for the last, I don't know, 30, 35 years, you know, I'm 41 years old. Mm-hmm. I can truly say this, you know, that this is the this is the, the the only thing I can state with any veracity that the more I know about UFOs, the less I understand them. Exactly. I was you took the words right <laughs> out of my mouth. That's what I was gonna say too. It's like the more you try to understand this stuff and the deeper you get into researching it, the more perplexing it is. You know, it's like when I first got into this I was just sure it was the aliens. You know, I was like, Oh, yeah. it's clearly aliens. Then the more I get into it, I'm like, Ah, I don't think it's aliens at all now. Yeah, you know, so I don't even. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult, uh, it's an extremely difficult topic, and it's you know, the the research of it has been mismanaged for so long that it's yeah that it's really uh, that's the that's the part that's like perplexing. Yeah. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. 
and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Now tell me about the the Mexican UFO scene, because uh, clearly there is one. If Jaime Masson is he kind of like the top dog of of the scene, or what's the, are there other people like in the in the field down there who are kind of like, oh, geez, you know, what are you doing, man? I mean, like, so what's the what's the tenor of this of this uh, community of researchers and stuff? To be perfectly honest, I don't follow uh, the Mexican UFO scene that much. I actually, you know, don't even watch Mexican television anymore. You know, I mean, I'm so immersed with other stuff, so I, I, I don't even have time to 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 watch TV. Uh, but the, there are there are a few people who are also involved. You know, like for example, Ana Luisa Cid. Is a, a Mexican ufologist who has done a, a lot, some work. You know, she is also invited to some uh, some TV programs. You know, to speak about UFOs, and I think that she, she's been doing interesting work, researching some some cases. You know, she was also she was also uh, trying to to analytically the. Overview the, the, the evidence presented by Mausan and his colleagues doing the be witness hmm. case. She talked to some uh, people, I think an egyptologist or someone who confirmed that, you know, the, 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 the body was a mummy and all that. So that's one name that I can uh, say that uh, is involved in Mexican ufology. There was also, I think, there's also obviously, you know, some skeptics, you know, people who used to appear alongside Mausan in, in these uh, old uh, TV programs that I spoke of earlier in the show, you know, the Eustatiopina, you know. Canoon uh, was very much like using the same guidelines as someone like uh, this guy in, in American television, the guy with uh, who used to be also uh, very involved with UFOs. Uh, Larry King? Larry King, exactly. So, Sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah, and you remember how uh, King used to invite both the, the people like Stanton Friedman and also, you know, people Yeah, like it would be like, the, yeah, the two sides. They would be like, hash it out on the show kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly, because in the end, you know, say, well, even if these guys don't present evidence, you know, what, what I want is ratings, you know, and what I want is drama, and I want to see debate and tension and, 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 and confrontation because that will be uh, sales, you know, that will be good television, you know. So there's something of that. And, and I guess there's still, there's still, you know, UFO devoted magazines out there in the, in selling in the newspapers, you know, I, I, I used to buy them, you know, in, in the early 2000s and all that, yeah. you know, like, like regular magazines, you know, they are surely fading away. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to find a regular magazine here. I think there's like a handful of, uh, actually, I think, I don't even know if there's really any American magazines, uh, left on, on this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, you almost have to get them from, from England, it seems, but I haven't really yeah, exactly. l- looked much lately. Now, beyond UFOs, obviously mm-hmm. you've looked at a whole bunch of other stuff. Is there anything mm-hmm. that really sort of, uh, you know, if, if UFOs is your A number one topic, what's your, what's your B? 
What's your B side? What's your what's your sort of the other stuff that really uh you know piques your interest? Well, I've always had a, a soft spot for Bigfoot and cryptozoology, you know, mm. right along when I was reading about um, UFOs in my early years. You know, I was also reading about Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. I remember finding a book, the book written by Tim Dinsdale, you know, one of the guy who who, who recorded this um, film of this thing that is moving alongside the, the the, the Loch Ness, you know, that, that has supposedly been uh, analyzed by experts who conclude that it's a, a, a living thing or whatever, you yeah. know. So I, I read his book, and obviously, you know, when you're a child, you know, the, the romantic uh, view of thinking that there is a living dinosaur, you know, living <laughs> yeah. in this Scottish lake, you know, I mean, it's the coolest thing ever, you know. I mean, there is there is a reason why. Jurassic Park and all those dinosaurs movies and all things dinosaur, you know, has such an appeal among the young audience, you know. Oh, there's, absolutely, yeah. Kids love dinosaurs. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's something very atavic and very primordial to the idea of these monstrous beings that actually lived millions of years ago. And to it, the idea of this kind of a very Conan Doyle-esque lost world, you know, in Ness or maybe in the Congo. You know, with this other cryptid, you know, the Mukele hmm. Mbembe, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Do you remember that Disney movie, Baby? A.D.? No, Baby. Oh, Baby. A, Baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the, yeah I do remember that. That was like when I was real young. Yeah, well, they like yeah, find, yeah, yeah, well, they find like a, like a, like a, like a little dinosaur down there, yeah. Yeah, like a little dinosaur and, and, and all that. So, obviously... Now that you think about it, you know, the, the idea of the Mokelum Bembe is completely uh, going against what we have now learned of dinosaurs, you know, now. Because we used to think of dinosaurs as these sluggish reptile-like beings who needed to, to live in swamps because they were so heavy that their their legs wouldn't be able to hold their weight down, mm. you know. But now we know that that's not the case at all, you know, and now that we think that the beings like uh, the Diplodocus and the Apatosaur and all that, you know, they live in more like arid-like environments, you know, more like uh, forests than, than swamp-like jungles, you know. But yeah. we, we're still left with this idea that there are remote parts in the world where there might still be these living fossils, you know, who, have been, who are still untouched by the hand of man. I have even consider the possibility that maybe the reason why cryptozoology had such a boost in the years 2000 and the like is because there is this like uh, subconscious and psychological idea that uh, we need to protect the ecosystem and these environments. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, I mean, Bigfoot might go extinct, you know, and we yeah. We've never managed to even discover it yet, right? You know, how many species are disappearing from the face of the earth and we don't even know because we are just eradicating the, the rainforest in the Amazon, the Amazon in Brazil and whatever. Right. That's an interesting, uh, perspective. I'll, I'd like to hear like Lauren's thoughts on that. If that's, that might be, uh, yeah, that's intriguing. 
Because you wonder, it did sort of, cryptozoology did sort of explode, like, in the last, like, 10, 15 years. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, it's interesting, too, uh, because you and I kind of have similar paths. And it's it's remarkable. I've talked about this where, you know, it's just funny how some mysteries, they're really big and then they die out. But they never get yeah. solved or anything, you know? Like, Nessie yeah. used to be, Nessie used to be in, like, the top five mysteries, probably, I'd say. Like, in the 80s, for sure. You know? Yeah. Now, like, no one talks about it anymore. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, really the idea of a living dinosaur, a living plesiosaur in, in, in these Scottish lakes kind of completely improbable, even though, you know, I still hold this kind of romantic uh, fantasy that there may be some kind of uh, underwater cavern system, mm. channels that in which, you know, these creatures can go from the open sea, you know, and then return to the to the lake and maybe to <laughs> yeah. mate and to nest and whatever, you know. But there's also this the idea that how uh, we used to have uh, land sightings of nesting, you know. There were a couple of people who actually yeah, reported yeah. this thing outside of the water. Yeah. When was the last time that someone claimed to have seen Nessie, you know, uh not in the lake, you know, so not some kind of hump, you know, that could be anything, you know, from a log or, or maybe, you know, the re- re- the lights reflecting on some wake of a boat, you know. Right, actually, right. Actually, a moving thing, you know, right, blocking the road, you know. Yeah, like what flopping along in front of the car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So w- what was that, you know? I mean, do we conclude that maybe the Nessie's habitat was, you know, kind of, Stampered of contaminated when they built the road and, uh, coming from Inverness or whatever, you know, now the animals have adapted and they go to land very sparsely. Or do we entertain more radical ideas that maybe the idea that Messi is not really a, a, a flesh and blood uh, being, you know, it's something more, well, here we go again, paranormal, you know, hmm. as much as we love the term, but there are really not many other uh, words we can use in the language. You know, language is so limiting when it comes to this phenomenon. Right. That's part of the problem, too, of trying to figure it all out, because you, you know, you struggle with the right words to describe all this and the right sort of like, it, it's like it... it, it is that that goes to sort of the problems with the ETH in a sense. It's like the only way to really understand this is you have to drape it on some kind of theory to to that to keep going. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, it's like you you have to sort of place it into some kind of narrative in order for the human mind to try and then try and figure it out. Where it's like you can't just completely be just like waving your arms around trying <laughs> trying to figure it out. It's uh. You need like a like 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 I said like a narrative. So yeah, that reminds me of the work of uh, Jeffrey Kripal. I don't know if you have ever had him on the show, but no, but the name's familiar. Yeah, yeah, he has wrote written uh, uh, some very great books. You know, one of my favorites is the one uh, entitled Mutants and Mystics. You know, and he came to the conclusion that these fourteen phenomena are better understood from a narratively point of view than from an empirical point of view. I mean, because in the end, you know, we humans in, in understand the world through stories. You know, that's the way we have always 
understand our life and uh, and our and our environment you know stories that we uh, shared and told around uh, gathered around the campfire you know thousands and thousands of years ago and then maybe we ended up you know writing them in some kind of parchment or some kind of book you know and then that becomes a myth and then the myth maybe becomes a religion or whatever but that's right. the way we make sense of the world exactly yeah so when you're trying to make sense of something that's completely, you know, insane, yeah. you yeah. have to yeah. come up with like a like a story to try and figure it all out, you know. Yeah. Or you don't really have to, but it's like we're compelled to, you know. It's like, yeah, and we always will go back to our previous and uh, the, the things that are already part of our like our uh, narrative and, and our uh, language and our now like our. Uh, information background, you know, mm. like our cultural baggage, as it were, you know. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm always, have always been fascinated by these ancient wood cuttings, you know, from the early European explorers who, who went to places like Africa and Australia and whatever, you know, and how they tried to describe things like a rhinoceros or a giraffe, you know, and you see those ancient wood countries and you say, you know, that thing doesn't look like a goddamn giraffe, you know, but that, <laughs> yeah. they were trying to make sense of it, you know, from the things they knew, you know, the animals that that, that existed in, in in Europe, you know, and right. the way that they interpret interpreted nature back in those days you know and that's kind of like a the funky uh, thing they come up with you know and that's like the best approximation they have back in those days you know and i'm sure the same will be said you know hundreds of years from now that the way we try to interpret things like aliens you know and and flying saucers you know it's interesting how they the saucers started to progress, you know, from being very uh, uh, steampunk-like devices, you know, full of rivets and you know, full. Yeah, of, yeah, like know, airships and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, you know, and now there's these like sleek, almost like you know, organic-like machines, you know, like the the flying version of the T-1000, you know, in mm. the Terminator movie, you know. And so now we're coming to things. Started to come with things like you know nanotechnology, you know, and AI and, and cybernetics, you know, and those things inform also our, our our understanding of the world, and maybe those things will start to influence the way we interpret uh, paranormal phenomena. Oh, I'm sure it's going to keep happening. You know, where it's, it seems like the hundred years or so we've been looking at all this. It's it's always the UFOs have always been one step ahead, so it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see what we see next. But it's also interesting, I find too that, I mean, you're on top of the news way better than I am, um, and but it just seems like I don't know. There's just I'm going to use one of my favorite words, but the UFOs they're just not titillating anymore. They're not doing anything. <laughs> they're just not doing anything worth getting excited about anymore. I don't understand why that's happened. You know, and it can't all entirely be my cynicism. I'm sure that that's a, I'm sure that's a good part of it. I'm sure that is. But it's like, I don't know. The, just, just, the UFOs are doing the same thing they've always done. But it seems like, I don't know, people don't care or it, it's, 
I, maybe the proliferation of cell phones and, and all that have made people even more cynical to like UFO news and UFO footage and UFO photos, but it just seems like the UFOs themselves have grown stagnant uh, over the last, I don't even know, since, since you know, since the turn of the century. Well, you know, maybe, maybe it's the, the effect of what our friend Greg uh, calls UFO porn, you know, I mm. mean, how, how, well, how many videos, you know, things, you know, hovering you know, and sitting around can you see, you know, right. say, well, you know, and how, how many stories of encounters with beings, you know, although those are still, you know, very interesting, but, uh, close encounters of the first and the second kind, you know, there's, there's a time when you reach a peak and you start to, to, to lose interest. And maybe, maybe you're right, you know, maybe, maybe the phenomenon has, receive us in a way, you know, from 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 its interaction with the world. You know, maybe it's it's becoming more prevalent but less dramatic. Yeah, I maybe, think go ahead. Yeah, maybe it's because of the cell I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean or maybe it's because we have become more uh, Cynical or more accustomed to CGI, you know, and things like things like the Uncanny Valley, you know. You, mm. We go and see films like Lord of the Rings and whatever. You see, you see a goddamn dragon flying and, <laughs> and belching smoke and fire, and you go like, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of cool, you know. Thirty years ago, twenty years ago, I went to see Jurassic Park. The first time I, you, you see that you're like. Oh my God! You know <laughs> now it's, it's like you know, oh yeah, whatever you know. Right? Yeah. Well, that's interesting too, in a way, when you think about it, because I think you, I think you and I are in agreement that like this is a dance between the whatever the phenomena is and the witness. Yeah. Yeah. And it, definitely. And it makes you wonder. Makes me wonder, I guess, that maybe, maybe as a as a as a I guess a, a, from a purely American perspective or a Western perspective, maybe it is like that. Maybe we've grown so accustomed to this idea of like, uh, you know, of seeing, seeing the, uh, the fantastic, you know, we, we, we can now see such fantastic things that are created by a computer that it's like, I don't know, there's, a, it's damaged. I, mean, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's, it's altered the relationship between us and the phenomenon in a way that, uh, you know, I don't know, it just has, you know, it's just you altered have, it in a way that we, I, I, which you and I are trying to figure out right now. <laughs> it has dual, dual our sense of the fantastic. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's kind of worrisome, you know, because it can be extrapolated to many other, uh, many other things, you know, I mean, not, not just, uh, uh, the paranormal, you know, the things that we uh, we have lost our sense of wonder. You know, I mean, right now, you know, just uh, some hours ago, a spaceship that uh, traversed I don't know how many millions of miles, you know, just had a flyby over Pluto. Right. Over Pluto, goddammit, you know. I mean, I've seen the images and I felt the wonder, but I want I I. So I, I would like to know how many people, you know, look at those photos and, you know, they, and they actually manage to, to get a sense of wonder out of that before they go and try to see, you know, their, their next uh, thing on Nine Gag or whatever. 
Well, it's interesting you say that because it's one of the few areas that I do feel like is kind of, uh, I don't know. We Well, you know, we do these year in review shows and I sort of do the hot and the, what's hot and what's not sort of as the year yeah. closes. And it's like, it does seem like sort of space has become really popular. And it does, it does seem to be one of the few things that does generate that sense of wonder in people. Uh, you know, people genuinely, and it may just be because, you know, I all, I have a very biased, uh, Facebook timeline, but it, but it does seem like people generally have a sort of sense of wonder. I remember about the, you know, when they landed the Mars rover, people were really excited about it. It's like, so that there is that sense, I guess. Uh, that, that we can still do these, or, or even when they landed on the asteroid, you know, it's like that we can still yeah. do these amazing things. It's like yeah. one of the few areas where we can, where we can all sort of like get together and be like, damn, man, we, we landed on an asteroid. That's amazing. So. Well, and, and by saying we, you know, we're saying, you know, you know, our, uh, technical mechanic emissaries, you know, because right now I'm seeing, you know, how more and more people, are saying that these, you know, using rovers, you know, to tele, sending out telepresence to this, to the universe is the only way we're going to experience uh, outer space, you know? I mean, when you say, oh, when are we humans going to actually land on the, on the, on the surface of Mars or even go back to the moon? You know, there's one say, oh, well, you know, it's so, such a, it's so difficult, you know, it's not it's not really worth it, you know, it's going to be so expensive and then people are going to have such a hard time, they're going to be exposed to so many dangers. No, no, let's just keep sending robots. You know, that's kind of like, there's something there that, you know, that as a foreigner, you know, as a non-American, you know, I, I feel that Americans have lost their edge on space. You know, I mean, I don't know if you. See, you oh, absolutely. Them? No, I I agree. Well, it's they've ceded. Feels like America has ceded space to corporations. Yeah. So, and we're in a transition stage right now where it's like it took them forever. You know, I'm super hypercritical of NASA and everything for the reason kind of you said, where it's like if you can get to the moon in '69, there's no reason why it should why why. I don't even know how long it's been, you know, since we've been back to the moon, but it's well over 30 years. Um, and it's like, there's no reason why that shouldn't, there's no reason why we shouldn't have stayed. It makes yeah. no sense to me. So it's like, I'm super hypercritical of, you know, and I've had people who listen and they, they have all the reasons and I've, I've had guests on who sort of can explain it, but it's like the explanation is just, they don't hold water to me. It doesn't make sense to me. It's like, so. I think that's probably what's going on, you know. They they've sort of ceded the control of space to these private industries and maybe that's what'll get people up into space eventually, back into space, you know. These uh, I think that the, 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 if they attach a commercial value on it, once once people sort of figure out that they can make money flying people to space, then maybe they'll be like, "Well, if I make X amount flying this dude into low earth orbit, I could charge him 10 times as much or 100 times as much to take him to the fucking moon." You know, yeah. and I can only hope that they do that because I don't know what else, you know, I'm a huge advocate for just getting out of here, you know, get, get, get out of, get out of earth, get, get somewhere else. Uh, yeah. And maybe I'm even staying in earth, you know, because we know that sooner or later we're going to have one of those big ass rocks coming from outer space that is really going to ruin our weekend plan. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and 
it's funny, you know, how to think about maybe what happens if tomorrow President Obama goes in a press conference and, say, and announces that NASA has detected uh, a killer asteroid that is going to crash on Earth, you know, five years from now. And then what are we going to do about it? You know, I mean, will we, will we humans, the, the, the countries of the world, will be able to, to join forces, you know, forget their petty differences and start to try to come up with a plan that will be able to, to uh, save us from the same fate that the dinosaurs, you know, mm. uh, went through. You know, I mean, I think Arthur C. Clarke was the one who said, you know, the, di- the reason the dinosaurs became extinct is because they didn't manage to develop a space program. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you talk to some people in the uh, esoteric field and they'll say that they did. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, yeah, reptilians, yeah. Yeah, yeah those reptilians, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's, you know, that's the one part, I guess, of, about the whole reptilian thing that I do kind of like. It's a cool twist to the theory where it's like, you know, the dinosaurs didn't go extinct. They figured out how to leave because some of them were like reptile people. It's like, what? That's awesome. You see, cause like you, you know, you were saying about the, about Nessie. I think we were also kind of in agreement where it's like, I cheer for this stuff to all be true. I want all this stuff to be mm-hmm. true. Cause it's like, that would make the world such a better place for me. Not yeah. not in any sort of way other than just like sheer delight that <laughs> if if Nessie was a, a a dinosaur that was just floating around in Loch Ness and Bigfoot was like this giant hairy humanoid that's walking around, it's like that would be that would be make the world such a great place. So, but yeah, well, you know, uh, as with regards to Bigfoot, you know, I treat it as my own personal uh, Schrodinger Schrodinger cryptid. You know, you you know how the Schrodinger cat is either mm. is both alive and dead, and it's not either one unless you take it out of from the box. Mm-hmm. But unless someone takes Bigfoot out of the forest, you know, to me it's both a flesh and blood animal and, and a supernatural being. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of come down on the side that it's like uh, that it's that it is both in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think I talked about this with uh, with Joshua Cutchin, where it's like. You hear all these stories about shapeshifters and stuff, and or or just like things take on the form of animals, and it's like, well, if the Bigfoot's an animal, then whatever the supernatural things are that take on the form of animals would then in turn take on the form of Bigfoot also, not just a yeah, bear that, or a deer or something like that. And, and also shows how we humans have debased nature so much that we don't think of animals as are uh, wonderful, you know, I mean, as 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 supernatural beings in themselves, you know? I mean, that's one of the things that are so interesting with uh, Mike Leland's research on owls, you know? I mean, he is researching owl sightings by uh, people who claim to have the direct uh, alien contact experience, you know, but these are real owls, you know, and say, well, okay, so it's a real owl, but but still a a supernatural event involving an animal, you know? Why is it that we have forgotten the things that our ancestors kept telling us, you know, that, you know, animals have uh, these powers and uh, the, uh, have these, uh, same, these other aspects on themselves that we just don't see on them anymore. You know, we see them as biological machines the same way that we see ourselves as biological machines, you know, and that's that, you know, well, maybe... Paranormal events are here to remind us that 
we are more than, than biological machines and that the world is more than a chain sets of chemical reactions and energetic, you know, processes that are bring about, you know, things are, are pure, uh, I don't know, mechanistic, you know, Newtonian kind of way. Right. Well, we're at a crossroads in a sense, uh, cause you wonder with science advanced, with technology really is the, is the, is the ominous sort of cloud on the horizon, you know? It seems like more and more now, there's more articles all the time about how, you know, the robots are going to destroy us and everything. It's like kind of, it's almost getting yeah. scary now at this point, just because it's always, it seems like this recurring story lately, uh, you know, that it's like, watch out for that technology. And it's, seems to me like this is inevitable you know i think Mm -hmm. as a species we're going to just create we're obsessed with creating our own demise you know and i think that's what's going to happen with with alternate technology and everything maybe we'll merge with machine but at that point you know are we even human anymore it's it's a question that i have pondered upon for a long long time you know this idea of uh the singularity and the people, the transhumanist movement, uh, how they want to download their consciousness into some kind of computer, you know, so they can be immortal forever, right? But, uh, well, maybe it will happen or maybe it won't, you know, maybe they will find that uh, the, con- the, the hard problem of consciousness is uh, not as easy to figure out as just trying to, you know, uh, connect more uh, uh, neural networks in parallel, you know, just to try to, to, to process more information. You know, maybe there's something more, uh, well, I don't want to say mysterious, you know, but something m- m- more to, to that than just, you know, seeing the, 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 the the human brain as just a computer, you know, because I am of the camp that the human brain is more of a receiver right. than a, than an actual, you know, the processor of consciousness, you know, and maybe the, the attempts to to download uh, or to to create a strong AI will follow on the footsteps of people who were promising us gene therapies, you know, back in the 1990s, you know, where there was this, uh, the Human Genome Project, I, I don't know if you remember how yeah. they, they they kept telling us that as soon as they figure out, you know, mapping the whole human genome, then we're going to have the cures for Alzheimer's, and they were going right. to have the cures for cancer and all that, you know, well, 25 years later, we're still waiting, and they, what they found is that not only was the human genome a lot shorter than they actually expected, but, you know, there's not a really a gene responsible for Alzheimer's or a gene, a single gene responsible for cancer. Hmm. It's a whole more complicated than that. And we're also uh, learning that the epigenetics, you know, the, the, the behavior of your parents has a huge influence in your development, you know, something that uh, 50 or 100 years ago, you want to say, Dude, that is the theories of Lamarck. That is that is completely, you know, anti-scientific. You know, anti the things that we know about uh, Darwinian evolution. But now, you know, there's like Lamarck 2.0. You know, epigenetics, the environment, and and the your parents, you know, and even you know the, your whole ancestry has a huge influence influence in how your genes 
activate, you know, how they switch on and off, you know, so maybe the same thing will happen with human consciousness. Yeah, it's like the idea of like how they, the whole cryogenics thing, you know, how they're like, we'll freeze you, and then when they find a cure for being shot with a shotgun, we'll, we'll unfreeze you and take care of you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it doesn't work that way, man. Uh, now we're close to the two hours. You want to go just a little bit over, just to, just to sort of put a cap on things? Yeah, let's go over. All right, nice. I don't like to put people on this. I really should ask the guests like ahead of time, but I, I, I always do it. I feel bad. I'm waiting for the one time when the guest's like, no, I said two hours and you get two hours. <laughs> Wrap up your show, clown. But thankfully, yeah, everyone's been cool. We are done. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. Wow. laughs> there we go. There we go. I keep losing my, uh, my, my ringer here. You wouldn't believe the phone. I should take a phone, a picture of this phone that we use for the show and put it on facebook or something i'm talking this thing is like from a time machine man it is it is well uh, let me put this from radio shack i don't even think there are radio shacks anymore <laughs> radio shack yeah um so what's well to sort of wrap up the the uh the live portion here uh we got about seven seven and a half minutes i mean talk a little bit plug some of the stuff you're where you write and uh you know what you're working on now and what you're kind of interested in and and what might be next for you you know do, do sort of the plugs part of the show okay so as the listeners might know or not um i write for uh, the daily grail i put also a blog for Mysterious Universe and a few other sites, you know, the, Scotty Roberts uh, used to have a blog for his Intrepid magazine, you know, and there were a, a few uh, writers contributing for it, you know, and I was one of them, but in, in the end, you know, everybody bailed out and I was kind of like the only one left on that blog, but I still like uh, putting my two cents on that particular page, you know, kind of like to to there to to write my more insightful or more philosophical pieces. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to to the Daily Grail and and, and Mr. Dunicos, you know, I like to I feel I, I'm a I like to go the the true Fortean path, you know, to write about everything and anything, not just UFOs, you know, also cryptozoology, also, you know, other mysteries, you know. The one thing that I'm more obsessed about right now is the whole thing about what we, we were just saying about consciousness, because I truly believe that consciousness has been the, the elephant in the room of all these mysteries, the thing that people in the UFO camp and even the cryptozoology camp and all all those camps have neglected and maybe it's the thing that connects everything together in ways that we are just starting to explore and also the things that I'm really interested about is this new openness uh, towards the benefits of psychedelics you know I'm very much in league with people like Raham Hancock who's who think that it's the the right of every conscious adult to try to explore their consciousness in any way they see fit, and if that involves using some kind of chemicals that grow natural in naturally in the world or even inside your own brain, like DMT, well then so be it, you know. And maybe you don't want to go to the psychedelic route because uh, not every path is meant to for everybody. You know, there are many other ways in which you can try to expand your consciousness, you know, maybe using things like meditation or lucid dreaming 
or or uh, other avenues that might help you see the folly of our materialistic uh, the, the materialistic worldview we are in mess right now you know sometimes i really feel that we the whole civilization is going to come into a complete head stop and we are going to have to figure out another route in which we can uh, as humans progress you know and maybe the phenomenon itself ufos are trying to give us some a hand once in a while and trying to to come up with uh, to pay attention and find another route mm. you know so, so those are the things that i'm interested in you know maybe i will try to i'll try to become much more involved in, in the foreseeable world you know I recently lost my day job, you know, and I'm trying to figure out whether I could actually go the full route, you know, as a full-time, uh, quote-unquote, writer, even though I still feel I'm not a writer, you know, I feel like writer, you know, it's like you put things that are worth, you know, sacrificing a tree, you know, to, to make the pole for the paper that mm. you are going to use for the book. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, I'm trying to still see where where I can go and explore in this uh, fascinating journey that has opened up in my life. Nice, nice. Well, I don't know if I would advise trying to make a go of it as a full-timer in this field. Uh, I tried for a few mm -hmm. years, and I ended up in terrible debt. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a... Not a great path to take, but if you, but for for some folks it works, you know, for, and more power to them, and you know, good luck to them, you know. But to me, I found, and I'm sure the, you know, I'm sure sort of the the financial struggles had a lot to do with it. But I also did find that when I sort of was working, when the paranormal was more of a job for me, mm -hmm. that it became less enjoyable. Ah, uh, yeah, I exactly know what you mean. Yeah. So I and 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 I noticed sort of later in in life uh you know this was I guess if we're going to sort of timeline it we're talking like you know season 6 season 7 of the show um you know but later in life as I sort of got back on my financial feet and and really didn't need the money from the paranormal except just to pay for the costs of the show and everything and and sort yeah. of like living was paid for by working uh then it became a lot more fun again so yeah. I think there was definitely something to that because it's, you know, when when you have to sing for your supper, it becomes more and more like you kind of start to grow resentful of the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. I know that it, it becomes, a, it really becomes like a job, right? And uh, it, it, it loses its allure and from a, a fun hobby that you were willing to really devote your free time, now it really feel that you are, uh, committed to it, you know, yeah, it, it, it looks at some kind of spark, you know, and mm. I, I know that there are people who, uh, actually can make a living out of it, you know, like, uh, well, or, or people like our, my, my, our friend Micah Hanks, you know, who has like 10 different jobs, you know, in yeah, order yeah. to make ends meet, and he, aside from his musical career, he has his writing career, and also that's an, that's an interest, interesting way to go, you know, to have different, Different pursuits and hobbies. You know, I think that having only one thing in which you devote your time, it's, it's not really, it's not the way that in which Portians should devote their time. Exactly, know. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you talk about it, it's like you do, when it's a fun hobby in your free time, when it becomes your, your vocation, 
It's like then you yeah. th- then you sort of fall into like an existential crisis in and of itself, where it's like, well, now what do you do with your free time? Exactly. You know what's what what becomes of the free time? Well, yeah. speaking of time, that's a good segue because the uh, the British lady, which only Red Pill Junkie and I can hear, she's informed me that we're uh, closing in on the final moments here of the live program. So I want to thank all the folks who tuned in to the live show. Thank you, of course, to Red Pill Junkie. We're going to keep chatting in a few moments uh, as we close out the program. But, again, uh, big thanks to the folks in the chat room. Big thanks to the folks who tuned in live. And uh, if you are the folks who tuned in live, grab the MP3 uh, in a couple days because there will be some additional conversation on there as well. And, uh, you know, check out Red Pill Junkie's stuff. He's on Facebook. So punch in Red Pill Junkie and like him on there, folks, because uh, you don't have a web hub or anything yet, right? No, I'm thinking about having one. No, not right. Not right now. Hmm? That I'm thinking about getting a domain, you know, yeah. kind of like a central hub for things, for, for my many pursuits, you know, not just the writing, but maybe also other, or other uh, business ideas I'm trying to come up with. But right now, you know, I'm, I'm glad of being, you know, like the fly on the wall of many, many websites, you know. Yeah, among yeah. those, you know, the Daily Grail and the Studios Universe. Nice, nice. Well, there. Oh, geez. I don't know if I should even. I don't know. Is this safe to mention? Let me see. Yeah. Well, apparently there is someone. Someone already has RedPillJunkie dot com. So. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a guy who, yeah, who 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 uses the 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 the, the handle RedPillJunkie on Twitter. You know, it's kind of a, like a drug and. In this, this is this this is an interesting thing, you know. I, I actually try to investigate the guy, and he is a Mexican also, and he is also an industrial industrial designer, you know, the, which is the thing that I uh, studied on, in college. So oh, wow. talk about a doppelganger. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. Well, there's a lot of weirdness going on actually. We we should mention this because I thought it was really interesting, and the more I thought about it, the more interesting it sort of became because it's like so, you know. Well, let's, you know, we talked about this. I'm super cynical. I think, like, almost everything <laughs> is bullshit. So it's like, all right. But you, this is amazing to me. Like I said, the more I think about it, the more amazing it gets because it's true. It really happened. You you have a word of the day app on your on your phone, and the word of the day for today, which is when we're going to talk, was foison, which is like, that is such an obscure word and so esoteric. You know, it's connected to the whole thing that we talked about with Joshua Cutchin. It's it's really amazing in a lot of ways that <laughs> that, that would what, come up. It's it's you know, it's almost undeniably weird. You know, it's like Was Joshua really... your last live show? Joshua was the last live show, yeah. Wow. Well there you go. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the universe is like fire it up, man. Get some foison yeah. out there. So yeah, yeah that's I mean... just so weird, because like I said, I mean I'm sure there's people out there who say, oh, it's all random and everything, but it's like, that's just mm-hmm. beyond, you know, random. To me, it seems like it has to be some kind of like poke in the, in the, in the synchronicity, you know, realm. Yeah, I mean, synchronicity is the way in which uh, these uh, phenomena manifest more openly in my life, you know, I mean, the first time I started to have one of these really really meaningful in synchronicity, you know, it was, you know, really mind-changing for me, you know, and I think the same thing happened to someone like uh, Jacques Vallée, you know, a guy who has spent 
all this time uh, researching about UFOs, and to my knowledge, I think the guy has never had a, 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 a UFO sighting. You know, I really also haven't had any anything you know dramatic. You know, when yeah, me neither. Yeah, sightings. You know, but I have had a lot of interesting synchronicities, and with him. You know, there's, this is something that he uh, wrote about in his book, Messengers of Deception, which to me is one of the top five books any people interested in the 14th world sh- sh- should ever read. You know, he started to see how synchronicities could be, in a way, connected to this phenomenon and also could hint to the idea that consciousness and information are the two building blocks of reality, which in itself, you know, it's like a, such a mind-blowing and radical, uh, even heretical, you know, idea nowadays, you know, but I keep coming back to it, you know, and I really think as time progresses that that really is it, you know, that consciousness and information are more fundamental than energy and time space. Hmm. Right. Well, it makes you wonder if they're even ever going to be able to figure out consciousness because it's been around forever and they still can't seem to get a grip on it. Yeah, maybe we we will never do it, and maybe that's not a that's that isn't such a, a bad thing because imagine life without mystery. You know, we'd be so goddamn dull. I think that I remember this thing that uh, Whitley Strieber, you know, the famous uh, abductee, you know, the guy who wrote Communion and all, and all those very important books. I mean, he practically brought the meme of the alien. Uh, rectal probe to 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 the mainstream, you know, much much to to his chagrin, uh, uh, nevertheless. But yeah. anyway, I think that he wrote in one of his blogs in uh, uh, on non country on on uh, I think that's the name of his website. How he once projected on his image this uh, question that he wanted to ask to the visitors. You know, the way he. Uh, talks about them, you know, about he wanted to know how did they viewed the universe. And the response he he got was an image of a uh, a closed coffin, you know. Hmm. So I guess the idea is these, these entities, they have lived for so long or they have traveled the whole of the universe of this reality or how many realities they they there is nothing else to figure out for them. You know, there is no mystery left. So in that way, when you, there's nothing more to, to, to get excited, getting back to the cynical idea, you know, then the universe becomes like a trap, you know, and maybe that is the reason why the phenomenon is so interested in interacting with us, because in a way, maybe we inject novelty into their their existence, you know, mm. being like the new kids on the block from a cosmological point of view, you know, maybe it's something similar to what parents experience when they have uh, children, you know, and they young children, the first time they, they see, I don't know, snow, their first Christmas, the first time exactly, they get yeah. Christmas tree, or they, they, they you mm. know, the first time they have a birthday party, you know, the parents, they, they, they enjoy it, uh, kind of like by proxy because they can get to relieve it in the eyes of their children. 
Although you could also say that you could also view it in a more uh, more uh, negative kind of way. You know, when you see people like uh, uh, Hugh Hefner, you know, the guy with the the, the, the editor of Playboy, you yeah. know, and the guy is marrying women that are like 50 years younger than him. You know? Right, right. And in a way, he's trying to keep young by by being surrounded by these young young women and he's becoming like some sort of vampire, you know? So it's the open idea, you know, which one is it? Are these visitors, you know, being like benevolent parents which are trying to to help us in our our development or are they some kind of uh, demonic vampires that are trying to, to... to prey on us, feed on us, or feed on our on our uh, naivete. Right. Yeah. Well, you presume that it's like a whole mix of stuff. That might be part of the problem too of trying to figure it all mm-hmm. out. It's like people are, yeah. you know, you're always sort of like you're always trying to put it in a box of good or bad or indifferent. Yeah, it's exactly. Like there's probably many different things going on. You know, exactly. it's, it yeah. ties into the sort of the idea too that it's like. You know, I'm not, I still sort of like keep the ETH on life support. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a valid idea. Right, exactly, exactly. It's a valid idea. So it's like, I'm not completely, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like, it's bullshit. It's, you know, it's like, <laughs> we don't know. So we can't, we can't say it's absolutely that or we, and we can't say that it's absolutely not that. But I guess the, the, the point I'm trying to make connecting to, to your thought was that you know, it always sort of like brings me back to the, the scary sort of idea that conspiracy folks uh, tie into ufology and UFOs and aliens and everything, where it's like we're property, we're we're you know we're 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 like at the center of a battle between forces much bigger than us. It's like mm-hmm. that very well may be the case that there's a whole bunch of conflicting forces at work, and you know, for all we know, we talk about sort of like how it seems like the UFOs have gotten stagnant, and maybe there's less interaction, and it's just like maybe. You know, maybe some other race of aliens got custody of of Earth, and so that's why things seem to have changed. Who knows? Yeah, no, maybe you know, uh, there's the the famous Fermi paradox, right? You know, the the, the, the Enrico Fermi, this physicist, who said, you know, okay, so there clearly has to be life in other parts of the universe. So where are they, right? And so there have many ways to try to to solve the Fermi paradox, and what's interesting about it is that uh, the solutions tell tell us inform us more about our current thinking than about what really might be going on. You know, so they used to say, well, you know, distances between stars are so ginormous that it's impossible to 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 travel, you know, to to another star system you know, because it takes like forever, you know, and it takes a lot of energy. Uh, maybe there's uh, the people who favor the ATH. They are was the fond of speculating that maybe there are ways to to circumvent that. You know, maybe through wormholes or whatever. And there's this the, the famous Alcubierre space drive. You know, this like kind of like a Star Trek engine that could might might help us to to develop a faster than light uh, spaceship. You know. There's this idea, and maybe there's the other idea that, you know, well, maybe there's some kind of a cataclysmic event that happens and that prevents uh, 
intelligent civilizations to develop beyond a certain threshold, you know, or maybe there's some kind of uh, uh, cosmo cosmological bullies, you know, that go and like to to snuff out, you know, na nascent civilization just when it starts to to creep out, you know, mm. some kind of like galactus, you know, <laughs> kind of like entity that goes and consume world before they they manage to 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 escape, you know. Uh, I've always been fond of the idea of the the so the so solution to the Fermi paradox, to the idea that yeah, maybe we are inside some kind of uh, uh, galactic zoo or galactic maybe like an aquarium, you know, and maybe, yeah. you know, the, now the idea comes, you know, are we in the hands of a, a responsible aqu uh, aquarium hobbies, you know, or are we, you know, in like in the bowl of a 10-year-old, you know, ch child who just got <laughs> a, a goldfish, you know, from some kind of fair, you know, and then, you know, yeah. next thing you know, the poor thing is belly up. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, what you were saying reminded me of uh, something I heard about, so we'll get back to that AI thing, where it's like, one sort of idea is that the, is that, is that being uh, subsumed by technology is sort of like that next step of, of the evolution, you know what I mean? Where you're yeah. saying, like, maybe it's a thing where, you know, you blow yourselves up before you can get out there, or maybe it's a thing, actually, where you're just... Where, where you end up creating technology to the point where the technology like outdistances you and goes on without you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's that's entirely a possibility too. Where yeah, it's, it's you know it, that might have been what happened to some of these species. Maybe that's why they're coming back here. You know, if they are, because they're like, don't <laughs> be careful what you do, because next thing you know, mm -hmm. you're all going to be uh, connected to spaceships and you're not going to like it or something. Yeah. There's this other idea that has been become more popular in the last uh, years, the idea that, you know, uh, 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 an advanced civilization develops a uh, virtual reality, you know, and they create artificial worlds that are more engaging and much more interesting than the real world. And instead of just going and explore outer space, you know, all these beings decide to go and, and live inside their their own fantasy world, you know. And hmm. so these guys, like the, the, these uh, aliens, are uh, like spending the whole of their lifetime, you know, like playing their version of World of Warcraft, you know, <laughs> instead of you know go and colonizing worlds, you know, in, in other solar systems, you know. And, but but like I said, these ideas are a reflection of our own. Uh, fears and, and our own uh, bias towards technology. Now we're seeing how, I mean, maybe in 10 or 15 years, we're going to have in every household our own our own version of the holodeck or our own version of the Oculus Rift. Right. And what what is that going to 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 do to to our society? You know, when you go and instead of you know. Watching television, you can go and, and jack in like in the Matrix, you know, and go and have a date with I don't know Farrah Fawcett or, or whatever. <laughs> that would be pretty pretty nice. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Well, I get what you I get what you're saying in a way too. It's like you're it, we we do we already do have people that are spending their lives on World of Warcraft. That's already happened to us. Yeah, and, I mean, and maybe at the expense to... of us exploring other worlds, you know, it's it's it yeah. may already be happening here. Yeah, I can't criticize anyone who likes to 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 
play uh, RPGs, RPG games, you know, and I'm a big game, gamer myself, and I like devote most of my time now online, you know, I mean, with the Twitter and with the blogging, and now that mm. I decided to take the goddamn blue pill and on Facebook, you know, I might as well glue uh, uh, my tablet right on my forehead, you know, and <laughs> forget about all that's happening in mid-space, you know. Yeah. But in a way, you know, it's... It, and it's also interesting how there are more and more scientists who are really entertaining the possibility that the whole universe is a simulation. Right, yeah, yeah, I've heard that whole theory, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that kind of like harking back to what I was saying, you know, that, well, uh, it, it kind of like the, the old becomes new again because all these ideas are nothing but uh, reiterations of the whole platonic thing with the cave, you know, mm. and, 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 and the, the, you know, the projections on the wall on the cave, you know, and the implicate order and all that. So maybe, yeah, maybe we are living in a kind of like a world of shadows, you know, some kind of holograph, holographic subset or of some super geometry using the, the term coined by the, uh, Tom Fusco, you know, I, I don't think, I don't know if you have had Tom on the, on the show. Yes, I've had Tom on, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I think that his ideas about the super geometry, you know, are very relevant to to, to the discussion of the of the paranormal phenomenon and even the UFO phenomenon. Hmm. Hmm. Trying to think what else, uh, what other avenues we may go down here tonight on the show. This has been a remarkable conversation, RPJ. So what? Now yeah. I didn't press you on this at the beginning of the show, but now we've gone for a while, so we can kind of cut loose a little bit here. So. We, we, you kind of talked a little bit about the origin of, of uh, the name Red Pill Junkie, but what, I guess, why, and believe me, I'm, this is not a critique. If I could go back and do it all again, I would be, a, I would use a completely different name because <laughs> yeah. it seems advisable. So you, you went down the right direction, but I guess, is, is there sort of like a reason that, that you still use just the nom de plume, uh, a red pill junkie, or is it is it sort of you know what's what I guess you know what's the yeah you know what's what's the story behind all that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't really remember how I came up with the such a oxymoronic hmm. term because it, it really is an oxymoron if you think about it, you know, because in the end the idea behind the matrix is you have to take the red pill only once, you know. But in the same, you know, it kind of, to me, it's not in a nice way of saying how, you know, that's not really true. You know, you really have to be taking the red field, you know, all these things that I see as the red field, you know, these things that, that I find all the time questioning my reality. But I, you need to keep doing it all over, over and over again. Yeah. And, and, and then I was, uh, Using the term red pill junkie as, uh, in the comment section of some web page, and then I used to uh, use the same nickname in other pages, so two people would recognize me and say, "Oh, so this is the, the same red pill junkie who right. comments on that other thing in that, that other website." And I'm not the only person who does that. You know, there are, there are other like super comment commenters. I will, I will, I will call them. You know, on the web. In, in the paranormal scene who also used the same uh, nickname over and over again. There's this guy like Kandinsky, you know, there's also Terry the Sensor, Pearl Girl, you know, there are these guys who, la who really like their, their nickname and they, they, 
they use it uh, in every website they visit, you know, and I did the same thing, you know, and then uh, that's the name that I decided to use on the uh, on the Daily Grail, you know, and then kind of like decided to keep it, keep it, you know. Yeah. In the end, I think that it was kind of a interesting way to try to be more, I don't know, enigmatic and crap, you know, you know, yeah, to yeah. try to have a more uh, an allure, you know, and also to try to to maintain some level of uh, anonymity on the web, you know, even though that by now everybody know that my real name is uh, Miguel Romero, you know, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times and I, I don't mind saying it, you know. Because, oh my God, <laughs> this is like, this is like El Santo unmasking. No, 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 no. You know, Gene Steinberg on the podcast forced me, you know, to say, you know, <laughs> I, I want you to say, I don't know, I think that the, the Gene has a real problem with the term junkie, you know, maybe because of the uh, negative connotation it kind of the, the world has on our, on our culture, you know. But, uh, you know, another thing I really like about the nickname Gene is that it reminds me never, ever to take myself too seriously. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because it's so whimsical, yeah. some kind of nonsensical, you know. It, I, I, it forces me to remain in, in that kind of like, uh, you know, whimsical, tricksterish, you know, playful level, you know. If, if I try to, you know, then uh, feel like, like I am the all or be all and, you know, like the big, big fish in the problem, I think that's the moment that I will really start to, to, to lose, you know, whatever insights I have might, hmm. might have had gained, you know, all these years, you know. So I like the idea, you know, that not taking myself too seriously, people not taking myself too seriously, the same way that maybe the phenomenon itself shouldn't be taken too seriously, you know. Do you remember that famous UFO case with this police officer, you know, this guy, I think his last name was Shermer. I was talking to Greg the other day about this, you know. I was one of my favorite UFO close encounters of all time, you know, the guy who gets aboard the, the UFO ship, you know, with these beings who have, like, cat-like eyes, you know, and in the end, one of them says say to him, you know, you, we want you to believe in us, but not too much. Hmm. I think that's kind of like the right approach to this phenomenon because Absolutely, otherwise yeah. you you become obsessed and mm -hmm. that's not a good thing. That's not a good place to go. Absolutely. I'm in total agreement with you there. It's like you can't take this stuff too seriously. I worry about the people that do because it's like yeah. they exist in a world where their worldview is completely off of what the shared worldview is. And it's like, you have to at least have a, you have to at least be able to understand the perspective of the remaining, the rest of the population that what you yeah. believe in is crazy. Like to, to people that are, you know, out there that are just absolute ardent believers in all this. Sometimes they can really go off the deep end where they just, you know, they take it so seriously that again, it shapes their whole worldview. And it's like, Oh man, you're you're not existing in with the rest of us, and that's why. Yeah, and in the end, they should ask themselves, you know, what is this obsession bringing to my life? Is it is it bringing me knowledge? Is it bringing me joy? Or is it bringing me you know sorrow? And is it bringing me despair and paranoia? Mm. Paranoia, because if it's the latter, well, maybe you know you should consider quitting. Yeah, that's uh, 
yeah, that's sound advice for sure because uh, it can be really, it can be troubling for some folks. It can, uh, it can be tough. But like I said earlier in the conversation here, you know, and, and you sort of touched on it just now when we were talking about the name, it's like, I really do appreciate the, the sense of whimsy and wonder that, that you produce in your stuff and, 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 and the sort of sly sense of humor. Even, even in the emails just between you and I, they, they have that sort of quality, which I really do appreciate. Uh, it's nice to have somebody who kind of, who, who like, like our mutual friend Greg doesn't take us all too seriously because, uh, exactly. you know, it's, well, it's, I don't know if it's supposed to be fun, but I think it should be fun. That might yeah. be the best way to put it, you know. Yeah, I think the, the having a, a sense of humor is a, a a good tool, you know, to keeping your feet on the ground in this uh, in this field. I also feel, you know, that the, that the phenomenon itself, you know, has a very very uh, clear sense of humor, you know, when it interacts with us. You know, I mean, one of my favorite cases of all time is the, the one in, uh, that happened in the, the former Soviet Union in 1981 in the city of Voronezh. You know, there, there was this time when the, the, these kids were playing in some park and then these, like, sphere-like objects, you know, landed and out of it came these, like, Giants with three eyes, you know. It's such a, you know, bizarre and absurd story, you know. Even though there, there are there are many uh, reasons to believe that it's genuine, but one of the things that really flies in the face of it is the fact that uh, in the back buckle, belt buckles of the beings, you know, and also in the uh, in the drawings of the of the child witnesses, you know, there is this uh, symbol. That has been uh, uh, acknowledged or equated with a, a very notorious fraud in, in the UFO field. You know that is the UMO symbol. You know that is was part of these uh, letters that were supposedly sent hmm. to several people in Europe in the 1960s and 70s, yep, you know, yep. which were supposedly sent by alien beings coming from the planet UMO. You know, and after that, you know. Many people think that the whole thing was a hoax, you know, maybe perpetrated even by the CIA or, or the KGB or whatever. But the end is that in, in, in all likelihood, you know, the, the, the letters were a hoax. But now we have this new, uh, uh, what seems to be a very compelling case, you know, and what? It has like a, a, this phony symbol, you know, right on top of it, you know, like some kind of like in your face, you know, way of uh, like showing us like the middle finger, you know, it's like yeah. it's part of the self-negating nature of the phenomenon, you know, like saying, you know, yeah, you're never going to figure this out, guys. So, you know, keep trying, though, you know. Right. Well, that's what we're going to have to do. Uh, man, let's just keep trying to figure this out or at least, uh, find the stuff that interests us. You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of what, what I do. And I know that's what you do, uh, you know, with mm -hmm. your work. So, and I gotta say, dude, uh, like I said at the very beginning, you're one of the good guys. I really do. Uh, you, you, you dropped some profound thoughts on us tonight and I really do appreciate okay, it. Uh, you know, and, uh, what I also like is you're not just, uh, you're not just out there everywhere. Which is <laughs> which is nice, you know. It's it's refreshing. Uh, so, and we have a mutual friend, Brent Swanser. So, oh yeah, Brent is uh, you know one of the rising stars in, in the Fortune uh, 
field. You know, I really feel that the guy is going to go places. You know, I I I was one of his fans back when he was writing for Crypto Mongo. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, he me too. Saying, wow, this guy, this mystery man guy, you know, he's deep. You know, he's really, really knowledgeable. He really knows his stuff, you know, when it comes to cryptozoology and biology and all that, you know. And then uh, I, uh, we kind of like uh, regained touch via email and then uh, uh, I, I saw him, you know, starting to uh, write for Mysterious Universe and all that, you know, now then uh, I remember <laughs> when you were starting to, to ask me, you know, oh, how can I ha- get, get a hold of him, you know, and then I remember him, well, I, I hope he doesn't mind uh, disclosing this, you know, how he was really nervous, you know, he was really not sure whether he will be willing to, to go to, to your show or any show for that matter, you know, and I was like trying to, to convince him, you know, dude, you will be fine, you will be great, you know, do it, you know, it will be, uh, it won't be, you know, it won't suck. <laughs> you yeah, know? Then, ah, you he know, did great, he was awesome, and it's like, he yeah. deserves all the you know, that's why when I, you know, I remember after we posted the show, it was like I, I, I emailed you right away about it. And it was like, you know, I'm all for like promoting my show and everything. And I'm I'm happy yeah, to send yeah. out emails and everything to sites when we post a show. But this time there was like a different sort of mood on my end as far as getting the word out about it, where it was like, we need to celebrate this guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so and then the same goes for you, man. I mean, you do some tremendous work and. And you know that's kind of that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show. Beyond the fact that we were way overdue to have you on the show, but it's like <laughs> I, I want to celebrate the people that do good work. You know, I may sound cynical on the show, but <laughs> I, I recognize that there's a lot of good stuff out there, and the people that are doing good stuff should uh, should have a platform to talk about it and 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 be celebrated. So guys like you yeah. and Brent, I'm happy to have on the program like anytime because you're doing Thanks, good man. work. I mean, man. Uh, getting getting back to to what were you you were saying earlier, how the, you know this field is not really <laughs> the avenue to 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 make a profit. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, you know, if you're really thinking of trying to make a buck, you know, stay away from your folks, guys. But having said that, if what you want is a different kind of wealth, you know, the wealth of uh, getting to know and befriend really, really interesting people, you know, who have a lot of knowledge and a lot of interesting uh, fields, you know, not, not only UFOs, but many other areas, you know, and that's, I can't recommend uh, this field highly enough, you know, that it has really made me rich in uh, uh, friendship with people like like you, like Greg Bishop, Brent Swanser, George Rakochin, my, my cosmic compadre, Micah Hanks, you know what I mean? If you are pursuing that kind of fortune, then this is the right field for it. Absolutely, yeah. You'll make some great friends, and you'll learn a lot about you may not learn much about UFOs, that is for sure, but you'll learn a lot about people. I guess that's the point. You know, yeah. you'll learn a lot about the human condition in a way, and, and what what makes people tick, and and that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's more probably than you will about UFOs. So it's it's a strange sort of uh, learning experience. Yeah, you learn about people and, and the world. You know, and that's not such a bad. Uh, uh, Second prize, you know, maybe, you know, that's the reason why the guys, keep, these entities keep coming back, you know, maybe they have traveled all around the world, you know, and 
in the end, you know, this is the most interesting place to be, you know. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, do you mind just stay on the line? I'm going to do the plugs. That takes like two sure. minutes and then we'll just kind of do a little off, uh, off air after shot. You don't mind, right? No, 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 no. Awesome. You're the man. I really appreciate it. Um, I really, I appreciate you coming on the show here, man, and, and giving us the extra time and, and really just opening up and, and talking about all kinds of stuff. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I really, really did. It, it's, I don't know. We're on a real hot streak here because uh, it seems like every show we've done this year so far has been just really, really good. And, and uh, we kept it up here with this program. And I'm sorry it took us so long to, to, to put it all together, but I'm really glad that we finally did. And uh, like I said, you you should be celebrated for doing some really amazing stuff, man. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, man. And I'm sure that this will not be the, the, the only time that uh, we'll get to, to once again talk about all these things on the North of America. You know, I'm looking forward for my second appearance, which hopefully will not take as much as, as long as this one. I promise you it will not. <laughs> All right. And, uh, folks, check out his stuff at, uh, Daily Grail and Mysterious Universe and, uh, Punch in Red Pill Junkie on Facebook. That's where, uh, you can find him and like him and follow his stuff. That's a, that's a good hub to, uh, get the latest on Red Pill Junkie. I'm trying to get Brent to, uh, hurry up and get on at least a page like that so people can, can, can find him. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I told him to. Yeah. Um, all right, folks. Well, this is the plugs portion of the program here where I tell you a little bit about the program. If you're a first time listener, uh, if you're just listening via blog talk, you're probably absolutely completely confused because you've missed the last five episodes because we just posted them at Banal of America. Uh, so on that note, do not subscribe via blog talk. Just go right to Banal of America, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. That is the website. We're also on Facebook, much like Red Pill Junkie. Just punch in Banal of America on Facebook. Head on over to BOA if you want more BOA audio. Tons of stuff on there. 200 plus episodes in the archive. And of course, it is all absolutely free. And I should mention that we are on the TuneIn Radio app. We finally have taken a, 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 a tiny step into the 21st century because now we're on this TuneIn Radio app. Um, but I don't know anything about it. So don't ask me for technical help, folks, because I barely... I'm on the Radio Shack phone. I mean, come on. So tune in, <laughs> tune in radio app. Uh, we're on that, and I, I think we're going to try and get on Stitcher soon, but uh, it got away from me. But if people want us on other apps, let me know, and uh, we'll we'll plug them into those apps. And as I said, 200-plus episodes in the archive, all absolutely free, and we do that via donations from the Banal of America listeners. How do you do that? That's simple. Head on over to PayPal or head on over to Banal of America. That's where you can click the PayPal button. That'll bring you to PayPal. They will walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the internet and you want to make a snail mail donation, there's also a P.O. Box address that you can also find at Banal of America. Uh, I cannot stress this enough, folks. This is our fifth international episode in a row it's been really a remarkable undertaking, and I'm surprised that it worked out so well. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, Ireland, Australia, Japan, China, and now Mexico. Folks, I got the bill for the first half of, of this international expedition, and it was whopping. 
So I can only imagine what the bill is going to look like next month when we hear about the uh, the calls to China and Japan and, and Mexico. So it's also going to be whopping. So if you could help us out, that would be really, really appreciated. You know, as I say all the time on the program here, no donation is too small and all donations go towards paying the bills at Banal of America and ensuring that the website is up and running, freely available and commercial free for all of our great readers and listeners all over the world. On the next edition of the program, we already have a guest lined up. We already have a day lined up. We got a time lined up, uh, but I'm just going to tease you and say uh, that it'll be next Tuesday night, July 21st, same time, 8 p.m. It all worked out pretty well, and uh, we'll announce the guest uh, over the weekend. So I want to make sure it's absolutely locked in, but I'd say it's about 95%. So it's a, it's a good guest. It's a, it's a pretty well-known guest, and I think folks are really going to dig it. So that'll be on the next edition of the program, July 21st at 8 p.m. Check out uh, Been All of America for more information. Also, BOA on Facebook. Uh, we'll roll out all the info in a few days. So stay tuned, as they say. And with all that said, thank you once again to Red Pill Junkie for coming on the show. I really do appreciate him giving us so much time and for his thoughtful uh, insights into all this strange and unusual stuff that he has examined over the years. Thank you to all the BOA listeners, the folks listening right now, the hardcore listeners who tune in to the very end of the program. You are the best. Thank you for your enduring support of the program. You are the fuel that drives the banal of America mothership, and I cannot thank you enough for everything, my friends. Until next time, this is Tim Banal, thanking you for listening and signing off.